welcome to Emotive Pixels Podcast, Season 2, Episode 2. Today's podcast, we'll be covering Kentucky Route Zero. I'm your host, Paulie Kroll, and glory, it is good to be among friends. Joining me is Nate Stevens. Hello. Craig Schumann. What's happening? And Will Atkinson. That's me. Quick warning, if you're not familiar with the podcast, we spoil everything. Well, maybe not everything, but everything we can about the game. So hopefully you've played through it. This podcast will be much more enjoyable to you if you have experienced the game. This podcast in particular, be wary, because due to the nature of the podcast, we might spoil a lot of other things too. Absolutely. So I think to start us off, we're going to have our opening question, our icebreaker question. And for this question, I chose something that refers to a survey that you take in the game. Changed slightly, but our question is going to be, what is the earliest memory that you'd like to share? And, or can you concretely confirm the existence of Kentucky? You can answer either one or both of these questions, whatever you like. I'll start off because it's my question. And I recall when I was a very young child, I was sleeping. My parents had gone out for the night and I awoke in my room with my jungle wallpaper on my walls. And I saw what I thought was my mother crawling down the hallway, which kind of really threw me off and was wondering what's going on here. Turns out while my parents were out, they picked up a golden retriever. My mom had red hair and my <laughs> small idiot brain thought that it was my mother crawling down the hall when it was actually our brand new dog. So just something that really stood out to me. It was like sort of scary and awkward at the same time at first. And then it was a super happy thought of having a dog. As far as Kentucky goes, I cannot confirm the existence of Kentucky. I have been just about all over the country and Kentucky is one of the few states I have never been to, seen, or known anyone from. I knew one person who supposedly moved to Kentucky, but I haven't heard from him since. So we can't be sure. Interesting. Who would like to go next? I, I'll jump in because my story is also dog related. Also, I have no idea if Kentucky exists. It, it could be a thing. Who knows? One of my earliest memories is me standing at the bottom of the steps to our patio um, deck. And my sister was standing at the top of the stairs and she was young enough that she was like toddler like just barely walking and she had propped herself up and the dog came over to her and like started bumping her and pushed her down the stairs and I was sitting at the bottom of the stairs staring up at her like I can't do anything about this so yeah fun it's amazing did that end well that sounds sad. no it ended about it how you would imagine oh, a whole no. lot of crying I think there has to be a little bit of terror involved for it to be remembered so well as an early memory well, I'm going to disrupt that. My, my first memory is sitting on the lap of my mom in her 89 Toyota MR2 and realizing that I couldn't reach the pedal. Nate memory. Yeah, a really, problem I, that I is no say, more. This like, completely confirms like the, the bias of memory, right? Which one? What memories do you remember? The ones you revisit most. Mm -hmm. It's as if um, his desire to car caused him to grow so very, very large. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I went too far. Yep, now you can't fit in um, that car. I also cannot confirm that Kentucky exists. I don't even have, I don't even know anyone that ever moved there. Not only do I not know anyone ever from there, 
I dare say that Kentucky Route Zero is my only evidence that Kentucky exists. And I'm not sure that it's very realist, so it's not exactly convincing that it's a real place. Doesn't seem like a very strong argument piece there. Piece of evidence. Yeah, no. How about you, Craig? The closest I can come to Kentucky existing is enjoying its fluids. Wow. That came out also a little phrasing. wrong, but yes, let's, let's, <laughs> but no, I mean, delicious whiskey from Kentucky is pretty much my only knowledge that it does exist or apparently it exists. I'm actually from Tennessee and my earliest memory exists by related to my parents again, as well as yours, Nate. So my dad was outside looking out our backyard patio as a tornado was approaching. And I just remember him just being out there, just like kind of observing the tornado off in the distance and sitting inside. And my mom scared half to death of everything that was happening at the time and trying to get us into a bathtub so we could shelter in place. But even though Kentucky was supposedly just a state north of us, never been there, cannot confirm its existence. Yeah, it's just a word on a bottle, right? I mean, it is. The distillery boys may have just brought me my delicious beverage. <laughs> yeah, we have like an ongoing question in this podcast. Is anything about Kentucky Route Zero going to be more American than Craig's dad casually <laughs> looking at a tornado? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. So I think we all, we've all experienced the game. I know that. But I think Nate specifically has way more time with uh, devotion to and expertise on Kentucky Route Zero. So I'm going to turn over the reins to him for our game overview. All right. So in this game, you begin as Conway, who's a truck driver in Kentucky who has a final delivery of a TV to make. The delivery is for Five Dogwood Drive, and you discover that Five Dogwood Drive is only accessible through the Zero, a surreal highway that only casually interacts with our reality. So you and along with various others that join into your party navigate through the various settings on and off the zero and end up emerging after a terrific rainstorm by underground river into a sun-drenched paradise that the consolidated power company has pulled out of. The game concludes as you make the final delivery. Those intermediate locales, as well as the game's four and a half interludes, which are multimedia art pieces that have been released as the game's development progressed, which we're going to talk about in a minute are all strange, surreal settings largely inspired by theater, specifically Death of the Hired Man by Robert Frost and Colossal Cave Adventure. The game contains multitudes of references to the history of art, performed theater, computers, and computer art, which are all passions of the creators. Um, of note, Conway, who kind of starts out as the main character, departs in Act 4 and is not seen again as he slips into what seems to be an alcoholic relapse brought on by medical debt and resulting or causational employment by the consolidated power company Excellent. and that's the plot so other that than is... you screwing up the first line i think it was perfect go on <laughs> and the fact that he was wrong about everything you yeah know. yeah you know you know that other is. than those huge errors <laughs> what did i mess up oh he got the tv at equus it was not not that big deal oh i'm dumb okay go on <laughs> We'll, we'll talk about Sorry. all that. Before we go into the game, let's get a little bit of background about where this come from, Nate. So this came from three people. Jake Elliott, who did development and writing. Tomas Kamenshi, who did development and art. And Ben Babbitt, who was kind of added to the program a little bit later, who's like, an, a, like a sound artist from Chicago. He did sound, sound design and later on in the game's history did game design. They all intersected at college in Chicago. 
and uh, they, they make up the company cardboard computer, correct? Correct. All right. I thought the interesting thing about the way they intersected in college is that one of them spent 10 years in college and so they would not have all or they were not all there at the same time they just all went to the same college so. i'll have to keep that in mind next time my parents are asking me for how long i took at college well i could have met someone really life-changing and made a work of art it's true. i spent six years and i didn't meet anyone that interesting just out of curiosity have these folks or cardboard computer worked on any games in the past Yes. So I'm sure they did many things before this, but Jake and Tomas did what they called an experimental remix of Colossal Cave Adventure, which was a game from the 70s, like really early text, like MIT, like paper printout type games. In learning about that, I learned that caving was really like big in the 70s and 80s. So that was kind of part of why that game was in the zeitgeist and part of why it stuck around maybe. And that really sparked their imaginations and they realized they wanted to make something a lot more ambitious. What is caving? Caving is where you go into caves and you don't die. Have you heard Isn't of Spelunky? Sp I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There may or That's may excellent. not be a few other games about this. It's when you play Spelunky underground, Folly. All right. That's, that's what it is. So then one day as Ellie was driving around Kentucky, which I think his partner lived there, the setting kind of clicked. They started the Kickstarter in 2011. It kind of conceived in the wake of the 2008 recession. They were targeting 6500 bucks. They got 8,500, worked day jobs for a while, and then they went to full-time development on Kentucky Route Zero due to how well it was selling. Will, I think we had talked about kind of reading off the Kickstarter because it's pretty wildly different. Is that something we're still interested in doing? Yeah, what was this supposed should, to yeah. be when they envisioned the creation of it? Yeah, so like, didn't they even have like a video where you were like jumping around and everything like that? They do, and it's like a completely different art style that looks almost more like claymation. I guess it's like hard to describe how different this is, but like... Why don't I just read this one? Maybe I'm going to read two paragraphs, and you can cut me down if necessary. Perfect. But Kentucky Route Zero is a magic, realist adventure game about a secret highway in Kentucky and the mysterious folks who travel it. The player controls Conway in an antique furniture delivery man as he attempts to complete his final delivery for his financially troubled employer. Along the way, he'll meet dozens of strange characters make, and make a few new friends to help him overcome the obstacles in his path. Blah, blah, blah. So all that sounds right about, yeah, right? Yeah, that sounds spot on. Gameplay in Kentucky Route Zero is slow-paced, focused on exploring new environments and talking with new people. In one section, Conway meets a robotic country singer named Junebug, who is trapped in the abandoned restaurant that her once employer, that once employed her, and has to explore the cavernous depths below the restaurant in order to shut down a security system and free her. In another, Conway and his companions explore a Civil War-era battleship that ran ashore in an underground river hundreds of years ago and is now populated entirely by cats. We're really going back and forth between, yes, this is definitely the game I yeah. played, and what? I mean, yeah. I can see how they took those concepts <laughs> and adjusted them, but it's all in there. Sort of. There's a, yeah, I mean, the there's definitely a line that connects what they say here, but the way that you get between those two is drastically different. Yeah, they, they they promised all those things and they delivered all those things, just not in that way, I think. I, I think this is only really particularly important because it was the Kickstarter. Like, this kind of change happens in game and story and, you know, 
book and f- film and all kinds of development all the time where you know you edit and you change things the the real kind of interesting wrinkle in this is in theory this is what they promised the people who gave them money before they even started and so you start getting into this weird sticky situation of did they deliver what they promised or did they just take your money and do something completely different it looks highly wait well what weren't they one of the first people who didn't deliver on their uh game from kickstarter because it wasn't out when they said it was going to be oh history of kickstarter controversy yeah, I thought they were one of the first that were like, oh, we didn't get this. Eventually people got it, but it wasn't like from the Kickstarter at all. That's interesting. I I think that that question, like if it's about the settings, it's not super interesting, but they are proposing a game here. And the one thing I knew about this Kickstarter before I did a lot of research for this episode was that like they made a very conscious choice to strip back all of the game out of this and make it more of like an experience. I don't know if that's entirely true because it's still, they advertise it as a magic realist adventure game. Like at its core, as we go through and discuss this, we can deconstruct what adventure game means and what it means for how they presented this. But I think that's a fair representation of what this became. I think that the biggest piece of historical context that is important to me when I'm thinking about this game is that when this game was pitched slash came out is about the same time that the phrase walking simulator was invented. The, the, the idea that that was such a novel concept in games that that phrase had not appeared yet leads you to the context in which this game came out. So the, there was a quote I found from an interview where, Jake said, I think in the initial email that I sent it to Moss, I proposed that it was going to be like Metroid or Castlevania, but a nonviolent Metroid or Castlevania, like if you replaced all the combat with talking, which is this game that? I was going to say, I think this is the first game I thought of the phrase walk reading simulator. <laughs> well, I don't know if that was a bit or like a real opinion, but that's pretty no, good. No, it was good. absolutely a real, real opinion. Is, if I, can I, is this more of a reading simulator than Disco Elysium? Yes, uh, I haven't. No, because Disco Elysium put out put out their full audio version. So yeah, but well, that was oh, just an audio right. book. Okay. It, yeah, to Will's point, it's worth referencing the age of this game. Right when they started this Kickstarter, that was in January of 2011. The medium was in a different place over a decade ago from when we're recording this. I mean, look at that figure. $8,500 was 2K over what they were asking for a video game on Kickstarter. That dates it right there, doesn't it? I think it's cool that reviews of Act 1 were so good that they just sold enough to keep doing it on their own. Like, that's another story I don't feel like you really hear now. I mean, Act 1 was, well, we'll get more into that. But so from from that point, it was seven years. So from from the release of Act 1, it was seven years until the release of Act 5 but that doesn't include the two years they spent on Act 1 before that. So this is like a nine-year process of making this game. And with big gaps in between the different acts, it wasn't like a steady flow or anything like that. Well, and the biggest act was between four and five, which was like four years, which I learned that they were doing, they were all in an Airbnb in Milan teaching game narrative and sound design, which I was like, I imagine that would take some of your time. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's kind of the overview of where this came from, how they made it, who made it. I think 
one one last piece to start to drag it out, but one of the, the the business around developing this game is kind of interesting. They made enough money so that they could sustain themselves while they built this game. But the question that I haven't heard answered, which is interest, which the question that I haven't heard answered is, have they made themselves enough money to sustain the development on a next thing? Or was this it, and they are starting from scratch again? Well, that's a great question. And also, like, what Annapurna's role was. Like, if Annapurna was brought in to for the logistics of the console ports, or if Annapurna was brought in because they were like, like, look, help us finish, like, a work of art. Um, to my that they knowledge, might not have walked away from. And I don't have a, a source that I can reference here, but just from listening to the discourse around this game, Annapurna came in and helped to create the TV edition, right? And to... Uh, finish off that piece but my understanding is that it was successful enough and has been successful enough for them to continue game development on whatever they're working on next no idea what that might be but i believe that they're in a good enough place today that they can continue working on their next game cool excellent all right so let's get into some topics for discussion and I know we have a list here, but I just thought of something I feel like is pertinent before we get into those is considering the different editions, console editions, TV edition, obviously the PC edition was already out. How would we all play this game? I'll start. I played it on a uh, PlayStation. So I did play the TV edition. I had played act one probably about two years ago, but I felt like I didn't remember enough about it. And once I saw the visuals of this game. I really wanted to play it on my plasma TV and I don't regret that decision despite some minor <laughs> problems with the controller. Respect. I played this game from, I think, man, when did I start? I definitely played at least act one and two. I don't, man, I think maybe I've played one. I think I played when up to Act 3 was released, and then I played Act 4 at the time it was released, and then I played Act 5 at the time it was released, and then I replayed it, I guess, a couple times now for this podcast. And all on PC? Yes. All right. I do think that the using a mouse for this game does make it a bit more enjoyable, so that's why I ask. It did seem like Will and Craig were both kind of fumbling when I was watching the console well, playing. Yeah, both sometimes. of you were on console as well? So we'll go ahead. I played on PC and uh, it's just throwing shade. <laughs> Roasted. I think it's interesting the UI differences in that there's some cool stuff that happens with the UI. Like from the very first act, clicking is represented as a horseshoe pole. I don't know if there's a word for that, that the horseshoe goes and wraps around. And then like in Act 5, clicking is represented by a, flor not fluorescent, like, yeah. And then, which the cat follows around. And there are a dozen, a dozen uh, tons of other input variations and mechanisms throughout the whole game that it feels like, oh man, it's a bummer that you would be missing that on console. But as we'll get kind of get to, that people's experience with this game all being completely different is very much a part of this game so you know i can't fault anybody for however they chose to play this i agree yeah and i played this game in multiple ways right so i played acts one through four on pc and played those over a series of months and kind of directly 
chose to create space between playing each of the acts based on recommendation of those that had played it, that, you know, having time between to reflect and to kind of actually lose sight of what the overall narrative was could enhance the overall experience. I did not play act five when it came out and actually waited until the TV edition and then replayed the entire series from act one through act five, including all of the interstitial pieces uh, with Nate over the last probably two months or so and did that all on PlayStation. So it was interesting to see it from both sides of the fence. Yeah, I, I, I was suggested that I, I don't know. I don't think I would have enjoyed this as much if I did follow the recommendation of having it spaced out. I really enjoyed for reasons we'll get into, uh, mostly remembering characters as they get, <laughs> as they continually get added. I really liked having, having one act followed by an interlude, followed by a, another act. So I could kind of keep track of all the people that you get, you get introduced through and their motivations and their histories and things like that. Excellent. So kind of a large topic here. Who should play this game? What is it exactly? Is it an art piece, a narrative, interactive fiction, or a game? Who wants to jump on that one? I could start off. I mean, I think, I think it's an art piece, but I kind of have to relate that to Something Nate brought up earlier, he said the interludes were multimedia experiences, but I'm not sure what exactly he meant by that because I was introduced to it through an interlude, but there's an interlude where you are sitting in front of a phone and you can, there's a phone number printed and you can call it and you pretty much call in through the secret tourism guide to the Echo River. But I so just had the idea. I didn't look this up or anything. But I was just like, what if I just called this number on my phone? And sure enough, the phone number exists and you can call it. And I have probably spent, I don't know, probably two hours calling that number and, and exploring it with my phone just as in my long free as time. Act. That's great. That, that is something that really, the fact that this game goes outside of the game, because something I'll get into is I don't think it's a great game. But I think it's a great art piece, and I, I really appreciate the, the different multimedia aspects to it. There's a lot you can dig into in this world, and it's not just through the phone. There's also a website with actual live-action videos and things like that that just, like, dig deep into this narrative that really uh, expands it for me and even goes places that aren't brought up in the game, but it's kind of just the tone of the game that's expressed through these things. And that's one of the things I like about this game more than anything is the tone. Sounds pretty multimedia, doesn't it? Well, so, I mean, you the said phone... the, the, the interludes were multimedia, so I was just kind of confused by that. So the phone interlude began as a phone tree, like a leaked phone number, I believe, on Twitter, right? And it was only made into, like, game form for the TV edition. Um, I forget which interlude it was that was, like, staged as a real-life play. Like, a lot of these things are, like, That's only the entertainment. Yeah, a lot of these things are only brought into the game context by this TV edition. Like, it's almost like retroactively. And you own the script it. to the entertainment as well, right? Like, you own a physical, yeah, paperback form of that. The yeah. the developers were talking about the actually went to a public what do you call it public TV station and performed what is it the fifth fifth or final or fifth interview the fourth yeah the, fi the, the fourth. final interview yeah the, the fourth one. Pueblo, so, Donata. So not, 
Not yeah. the two plays, but the one that's actually in a TV station, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... And it's so excellent. It's like, after playing through that interlude in the game, like, it's exactly the same, but, like, if if they had that such excellent acting and voicing and everything like that, it really makes me wonder what came first, that text in the game, or if they took the recording and, and oh. it first, because it's performed so well, it's ridiculous. But something you brought up about the entertainment, what, when I was reading on their blog, it said they first developed it as a VR experience, because they were messing around with working on Oculus, and they had developed it as an Oculus experience, but it's no longer supported. If you go to their website, there's instructions for the VR edition, which is to get eight copies of the script that Nate has and have people play out each role. <laughs> and it gets pretty, pretty severe where you have to buy bread and things like that. It's as good as the multiplayer instructions. Yeah, that is very related. Turns out. Which we actually did. Yeah, the multiplayer instructions are when you see something that refers or gives you thought or pause about someone else that's in the room with you pass the controller i f i have this memory that most of the time you pass the controller to me it was sound related which i appreciated it turns out that those multiplayer ref instructions are in themselves a reference to a type of poetry that lived and died uh i can't remember if what? i want to say early 60s early 70s why, so. do, why am i surprised yeah it doesn't yeah. surprise me at all I guess that does get back into if it's an art piece, a narrative, interactive fiction, a game, or all of the above. So I guess maybe this would have fit into our, like, how did you play this game? But when I played this game over years, this was nothing but an art piece. When I played the final act, I was, like, not even sure how it related to the rest of the game. It was all just this, like, mood more than it was a game. But replaying it now, it's clear that there's, like, a narrative arc like it sets out a pretty clear plot that you actually do well hold on but i think like the like the way that like player choice manifests in this game i think is what makes it the most gamey but not like archetypically gamey like you're it's instead of like you making choices that influence the plot it's more about you choosing like what each character is to you which i think is just as gamey as like what we think of as an rpg would be except a little bit less represented. Does that make sense? Does, it, does that click with anyone? Yeah, I think it does. I was listening to a episode of the besties where they talked about this after the fifth act was released and thought that I think it was Griffin, but I'm not sure somebody had about how the choices in this act are less you role-playing characters and more you, the director of this scene where you kind of set the tone for how it plays out, but you don't really change anything about what happens. I think that yeah. lined up with my thoughts on, on choice in the game. But I think that's totally just as valid of a type of player choice, which means that it's gamey in that sense. Yeah, you're still helping to direct the play, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Well, I think this would be an awesome play. So I somebody was bringing up that the... the the way that choice works in this game actually feeds into one of the main themes of this game, and that is your you so being able to make being able to think about the repercussions of your choice empowers the player to kind of think ahead and strategize and make choices about what the impact of their choices will be will be, 
And one of the main themes, points of this game is not having the power to, you know, not having agency, not being able to have, being empowered to make those kinds of decisions. And so kind of putting the player on the back foot and saying, hey, you need to make a choice now, even though you don't have any concept of what the repercussions of those choices are is like part of the themes of this game in the first place. What examples of that in this game spring to mind when you're talking about that, Will? What so if some... you can't pick a one? Yeah, it's it's like multi multifold. Both in that well, first of all, the the point of it is that you as a player should not know whether or not your choices matter. And a lot of the times they don't, but they have explicitly gone out of their way to make sure that there are times when they do. There is a whole trollish Easter egg in the game where the interlude for Act 4, or 3 or 4, whichever one it is with the phone, the, the type of phone, the type and color of the phone change depending on what choices you've made throughout the game. Like, what? why? <laughs> so you could, Interesting. you know have read the wiki you know you know what you'd want and like totally optimized your play to get the specific phone um but even that is like it's still not allowing you're still not like strategizing in the in the yeah anyway sorry you're not min maxing kentucky route zero no yeah exactly what i think of when you thought think about that choice is pretty much my my first experience with that taking away of choice where you're you're told to find Kentucky Route Zero, and you're told to go to this farmhouse to find out how to get there. And when you get there, Weaver, who you're talking to there, says, oh, well, this TV that you delivered to me is um, busted, so you're really going to need to get my cousin to fix it. And you ha they give you a choice. Do you want to go get the cousin or not? They supposedly give you a choice, but I was like, no, I'm, I'm just trying to find the zero. And she's like, well, you could find the on-ramp to the zero at this mine. So you drive out to this mine and sure enough, her cousin is there and there's no on-ramp to the zero there. It does lead you to that on-ramp. And that was the whole point in the first place. You have to go through these connections and uh, these predetermined choices in order to get to your goal. But I thought it was a really interesting way where you do make a choice in what you say, but it doesn't really affect the game outcome at all or the narrative. Which I think like Will was saying, like I have the trust in this game that that itself is a statement about something, you know, whether that's an excuse afterwards to like justify that they didn't have the budget to make an infinite choice game or not. is, I guess a different question, but yeah. It didn't come off that way to me while playing no. the game. It was more, I don't want to say manipulation because I don't think that's the right word, but it felt like the characters were making those choices and not the game creators. No, this, yeah, that was just me more anticipating what someone more cynical might say. <laughs> it seems pretty clear that that's not this game. So one thing we haven't talked about with this is who's the main character? Is there a main character? What is a character? So the game obviously sets you up for Conway to be the main character. And I think in pitching it to anyone that hasn't played it, you would say, you know, it's a game about a truck driver like we kind of did above, but, but is Conway the main character? I'm going to go back to my thought that you, you aren't a character in this game. You're kind of just experiencing it and, and sort of directing it with your choices of what people say. But I think they, 
I don't even like like care because there's tons of characters in this game. I think there's no protagonist in this game. The closest thing to an antagonist might be the power company, I guess. I mean, but... maybe. I think the closest you can get here is that, to me, this game is a play. And all five acts contribute to that. And part of a play is that you have an ensemble cast with different characters, with different motivations, with different pieces of their own history that they're bringing onto the stage. And when we were going through this, that's the thought that was coming through my mind is that as we were interacting with people, the motivations might not always be clear and where they stand as far as, are they the primary protagonist? Are they who I'm seeing the world through? What purpose are they serving to drive the narrative forward, faded to the background in favor of focusing on what their particular emotions were and kind of where they were going to be heading in their own separate journey. And I think that encapsulated at least what I was looking at as far as who is the character of this game. I think also that's a part of why I gravitate. Like I would understand why people would say this is more of art. Like I feel like having a central character, like especially since this game kind of sets you up to think that you do. It totally does. It takes it away pretty quickly once you start becoming sh- like I forget which scene it happens, but I think it's in Act One where you like start answering as Shannon, right? Like it's not as late as I remembered it being. Yeah, they pull that um, agency away from you pretty fast. Yeah, it's when you very first go that line, and they and that does move it more in the art direction but as soon as i say that like there's plenty of games where you're not a character right like a city builder you're not a character so i guess it doesn't really check out aren't you you're the mayor okay well yeah i was gonna say well okay so they do some really cool things with thinking about or with that sense of perspective one of the things that i didn't catch which i thought was really cool is that from the point where conway takes his shot you never play as conway again like He's intended to be yeah, other and alienated and some yeah. somebody, you know, he's like in the scene, he's never, you're never inhabiting him anymore. He doesn't have that sense of age, that sense of even the, the quasi sense of agency that you had about him before that point. So they do do some cool things, but almost, you know, I, at the end of the day, I, I kind of feel like this is kind of a, uh, false choice, something that's nice to think about in the concept of this game, like games have been doing this forever right like who's the main character of super mario 2 like nobody plays as mario he's the weakest <laughs> carrier character right like so i don't know so if we take away the characters what are the themes of kentucky route zero so we were in a little tiff as to whether conway should be identified as an alcoholic i do think that addiction is a theme of this game. Relapse and debt, like all those things seem interrelated to me. Those seem big themes. Okay. But maybe they're less themes and more subjects. I, I No, I'm with you. When you Let's pull back the curtain a little bit. When you talk about the tiff, in your intro, you had called Conway an alcoholic. And that was the only issue I had because I feel like at the beginning of the day, game, he isn't presented in that way at all. It's not until he, because he's a recovering alcoholic, and you find that out right before he becomes an alcoholic again. Before he relapses. The yeah, more you play, the more hints there are before that, though. And I I don't think... Yeah, go ahead, Craig. Those are hard to pick up on the first playthrough, in my, in my estimation. 
I'm not sure. I mean, knowing where the story goes as we play through it a second time, it definitely colored how they were handling the setup. I think there's a lot more telegraph than you would be led on to believe. Yeah, I thought he was a sad character and he seemed like a regretful character, but there was nothing that made it seem like alcoholism was a problem for me up until when he starts having flashbacks about going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and things like that. Right. But I don't think whether or not it's foreshadowed has bearing on whether the fact, whether or not that like his alcoholism, alcoholism is a core theme of this game. Me neither. That's why I wanted to pull back the curtain because I didn't have a problem with you having it as the theme of the game. I just had a problem with us immediately introducing Conway as an alcoholic because I don't feel like that's how he's presented by the game creators. So I feel like just saying this game is about an alcoholic that does this, it takes away from the narrative of the story because I think it's more about the debt than it is about his alcoholism, but yes. So I pulled that out because one, like a person with that suffers from alcoholism, isn't an alcoholic for life. Right. And two alcoholism isn't in this game is only a, like a, a facet of America, which I think is the ultimate theme of Kentucky route zero, which is a little bit broad. I also want to, a lot of this didn't come through in my playthrough. Oh, when I played the couple of times that the, the the early times that alcohol was referenced, other characters would cut me off and like like I in scene three in the bar, I asked for went to ask for a shot of whiskey, and some other character said no, he doesn't want that. Go on and like there's a couple of like other characters stepping in to keep you away from alcohol, but then like in I think it's Act Four where you're going down the river. Like a bunch of the scenes where Nate has told me those alcoholic things are really prevalent, I didn't see. I went, took other paths. And so, like, of the alcohol, about all I saw was him holding a beer in one scene. So, like, avoiding it and holding a beer didn't scream alcoholic to me. So, what about when he takes the shot? Yeah. Yeah. Like right before it, when, when they go to Hard Times Distillery down under the church. Yeah. When, when he's giving them the tour because he's a prospective new employee or whatever, when he's like, to me, that's when it broke through when he started like inspecting the van and those, those flashbacks he had, especially there was one where it didn't say it, but he was in a meeting. And then like right after his choices are to go for a walk or to go to the bar, like it seemed very obvious he was talking about being in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And then right after that, like they offer you your celebratory hiring date shot and you don't have the choice to not take it. It just forces you to take the shot. It fully removes the agency from the player. At that point, you but have no I think no the option. shot can just play into the agency of a debt and employment, which I think the game is talking a lot about too. So you can almost gloss over the alcohol factor and kind of go more onto what Will was picking up on, which was... So I, th- I think I saw it like... A lot more in like this medical metaphorical sense but to me i saw in conway a uh, a really deep story about suicide and how like the 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 depths of despair and how he got himself into a situation that he felt like there was no way out and his only his only recourse because he was so indebted was to take the metaphorical shot and then in particular like the way that the conversations at the end of act four play out where particularly the stuff around Ezra got me all like super choked up and had to stop for a minute as I was playing because um, 
Ezra's talking about like where did he go and then he's like oh I should I should follow him and you know me thinking of oh he's gone and killed himself this is Ezra saying you know I need to go and kill myself too like I need to like it's this like weird like in order to be supportive I need to go to that dark place with him and like that really that really hit me and then there's a lot of the ways about the way the characters there's a a very like understanding nonchalant attitude about the way that people continue on their lives and they like acknowledge that that's something to do without like addressing it that but i should also mention there's a couple other like really big suicide type actions he does the giving away all of his stuff this feel he gives away his jacket he gives away the the truck the, when the he truck. gave away his truck you like gasped yeah but i pointed out like, to you that shannon was wearing his jacket like before it happens yeah right yeah he gives that away earlier in this series there's also this sense of like kind of this euphoria that some people have talked about as like being a sign too. I've heard other people talk about it. He seemed he is written more like he's drunk at that point of the game, whereas to me it felt like his. You know, I've decided to give it all up, so let's put my things in the in the right order, and and I'm out. So it it like hit me really hard, and then because of the way that that felt to me, the the denouement, all of Act Five, felt like. Here's what the community is doing to pick up the pieces and move on in after somebody has killed themselves. This is the crap that he left behind. This is the mess that we need to clean up. Some of it we will. Some things we will take care of. We'll acknowledge him somewhat. But for the rest of us, our life has to go on anyway. Was the funeral in Act 5 in any way to you representative of mourning his spirit? Or... How did you? Yeah, it was take weird because there were there ended up being like three different funerals. There's the where she walks down and the the band the the band comes this by. This world is not my home. Yeah, yeah. That song is even worse when you're thinking about suicide because it's like I cannot live in this world anymore, and so I need to go. That song, it's like, oh man, that one's a killer. And then there's the theremin one, and then the final actual funeral, the funeral for the horses. Like, it just over and over is like talking about dealing with despair, and then the overall, the one of the big overall themes of this game that I think we can probably all agree on is that the zero. The, the cyclic nature of zero kind of represents cycling and infinity, like going on, continuing on, replacing what's come before, those kinds of things. And so a, a lot of that comes in, like, now that this person is gone, the rest of us need to pick up and continue. So It's hilarious to me. That's a... I can't love, wait that you followed that. suicide with hilarious. I love suicide. I, I, lo I love Hysterical. your description of the end of that game because it's amazing how much it differs from mine. But it's what's funny to me is that we bring this up after we tell you how choice is taken away from you in this game. Because some of the things you're referencing, I did not see dialogue about at all. There was no like despair in the group. It was just like mild curiosity about Conway went. When I was t uh, talking about it, like Ezra barely even noticed he was gone. It seemed like, but it, I, I can totally see that, um, that viewpoint and it, it completely makes sense. And I think that's one of the reasons why this game so much 
feels like art to me is because there would be different ways to view it despite us all experiencing the same thing. But for me, there's something that Conway said that completely took me out of that mind state. And it's one of the saddest things that probably anybody has said where he, he's talking about debt. And he's like, one of the saddest things to me is if somebody dies before they're able to pay off their debt. And it's like, it, it's heartbreaking that he, to me, he felt like he had to work this company because he owes them. And it was, to me, the theme of this game is like, I don't know how to, how to exactly say it, but it's like an Americana view of late stage capitalism and how it affects everyday lives and things like that. There's multiple references to the power company and how they destroyed everybody's lives and everybody knows it. And they show a lot of bitterness and resentment to the, resentment to the company, but then some dissonance is thrown in that for me towards the end, when you learn about how. I kind of learned about how the power company was trying to build a ditch, but everybody blames them for not, not building the ditch yet. that would drain the town. But then if you dig into some of the multimedia things and there's the, there's some Connie videos that are pretty much like propaganda videos from the power company. And they're trying to urge people to come out and build the drainage ditch. Do you find those outside the game? Of course. Yeah. Outside the game on uh, the, the WEVP website. Got it. They have a bunch of videos that were, uh, they were on the public access channel, but Connie seemed to be like a propaganda for the power company, but they're, they're asking people to come and help out with this effort to build the drainage ditch. And then that's when the out of towner came and it seems like the out of towner was killed by the people of the town because he, he didn't, he wasn't a cultural fit for the town. And it kind of threw some dissonance into like, maybe all those town's problems wasn't the power company as well. That's just kind of what I started thinking of towards the end of it. But to me, this game like leads in, in almost every single story, how these people's lives were changed for the worse through greed from pretty much this massive, massive conglomerate taking over their small town lives and things like that. Conway leaving was, was just another, another version of that, where he had, he had what at the beginning of the game seemed like this mission and it wasn't even a big one. It was deliver the last package in his job with nothing to go back with. Cause his boss is going to a home because she's suffering from the word is amnesia it's for when older people dementia forgetting things or all time. Yeah. Either one. And he didn't really have anywhere to go. And it's almost like, I almost viewed it as he was like grateful that he now has somewhere to go and he can continue this cycle of debt and having to do something because it's what's going to save him. And, and all the drinking was kind of his last hurrah almost before he, he did it all over again and just worked himself to death, which is a form of suicide, I guess. I mean, that's just what it meant to me. It's, it's amazing to me the way different viewpoint you got out of it. And I'm curious if some of that is through dialogue choices. Well, yeah, him skipping a lot of the scenes in Act 4 by staying on the boat was really interesting to see. Go into that a little bit, right? With reference uh, to Act 4 specifically, it was the longest act in the series. What I think 3 was longer, wasn't it? Well, I, I don't, don't know. believe so. How, so. Not when Will's playing. Yeah, so with regards to Act 4, just what did it look like as far as a difference between if you did stay on the boat or if you didn't stay on the boat and there's different interactive choices you could make at multiple stages of that right 
So something that was interesting to me, even before I answer that, but I, I think Will might better answer that by kind of talking about what Act 4 was for him. But it struck me that when I was like surprised that Will kept choosing to stay on the boat, he, I said something to that effect and he didn't realize that that's what he was doing. If if that's how I that's how I remember it, Will is that correct? No, one or, one or two times where I, I I can't remember how many there are. There was definitely one that I did. I was like consciously picked that I didn't want to go see whatever they were talking about. But there was one that the choice they both seemed pretty ambiguous. And it's like in, in retrospect, I know exactly what it is that that I picked. But at the time, it, it was a little unclear. I'm guessing it wasn't the same. The only time I stayed on the boat was for one specific thing. Can anybody guess what that is? The dogs. Watching TV. The dogs. dogs. Is that when you stayed as well? I stayed for the dogs. I stayed to watch TV. I think I stayed to play cards. Okay. Um, Yeah, I only stayed on the boat for the dogs when I don't, everybody named their dog, right? So mine was named Blue. 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 Was was it always Blue or did we have a choice? How you monster! The guy with the dog went for the sociopath around. But Blue and Valkyrie hanging out on the boat, and it's literally like a five-second scene of, "Yep, they're hanging out on the boat." I love that so much. (laughs) I had to. I told you, Will, to go see the Iron Pariah scene because I just wanted to see that one more time so badly. And I thought that you would flip a nut about how suddenly they changed the syntax of the text in this game to there being two for some reason. I was excited to see what you'd say about that. Yeah, I don't think I, think I would have gone to that one either. That's the only time that happens, isn't it? Yeah. Should, did did everybody so. at least go to the rum colony? No, yes. we'll skip that. Which I was like, hey, so, so just so you know, Conway's fucking blitzed off to the side and he's like falling into the wayside as a character. Yep. And Will was like, oh. And the distillery boys show up there. Yeah, I heard there's a bunch of cool stuff where you can find the... Dis- He's actually sitting there with the distillery boys if you use the... The, the flashlight. Or whatever. Well, yeah. And that scenario, yeah. I mean, just... I thought it was it was kind of inferred anyway because he's talking to somebody you can't see. Yeah. So Will's playthrough was really peaceful, though. Like, Shannon or whoever's sitting there watching the TV and, like, hearing her thoughts about what documentary she was watching is just a totally different... Fine. ...thing, yeah. What, what were... The themes to you, Nate. This is... I feel like I remember when I got in my horrible accident, There, you get to this place where you're just like, whatever happens is going to happen, and I don't, I don't have the energy to have judgment or feelings about it. And or I think agency. for Con... Yeah, I guess that's a way better point. You're just like, it's not like any opinion I have matters at all. And you get to this place of total acceptance. But the problem with that is you can enact a bunch of bad decisions when you're in total acceptance, thinking that the world is just happening to you, when in reality, you do have some agency. It's just that you don't have the cognitive facilities to like guess what's going to go where. And I think at the end of Act 2, when Conway is like, told by the doctor, I think that's for him when he starts letting the world happen to him. And I, I guess I feel like, to me, this game is like, I guess as with so much media that I really love, this is like a game that's like trying to distill some of the core experiences of being American. Like, like what is not only what is American now, but what has always been American and what is like American through all eras, past and future. And Conway's like the way that his debt robs him of being a human being, I think is like a really core part of what the 
game developers are trying to say about what it means to be American. And I think that all these facets of being American are kind of the theme of this game. Does that ring true for anyone? Absolutely. Yeah, to me, I think the overall themes that I was taking away from it was, you know, a perspective on capitalism, but also a perspective on the American dream and what that means to all of us today, what that means to those that lived 50 years ago or 100 years ago and how industries can continue to use and abuse labor and use debt as a method to control, right? Those aspects of it were the pieces that continued to ring throughout the entire narrative across multiple characters, not just Conway's story was about what debt could do to a person or what an industry could do to a community, right? You could see that within different miners or the distillery boys, there was so much more there than just what was happening in Conway, but it was more of, I don't want to call him a journalist, but it was almost a perspective as far as, you know, how is he interacting with the world around him? And then how does he view that? And from there, you can extrapolate different themes among, you know, a rural portion of America and what that means to those that have lived through it and those that are continuing to live past it. Yeah, Yeah. there's like a kind of like work to live that is unique to American culture, I think, still and always possibly has been. Like you have to you have to make tougher decisions to continue existence. And I think the idea that there is a point at which it's probably just not worth it anymore, even though we're all imbued with this shame, this idea that we need to pet pay settle up before we leave. Mm. The I the the like discussion of there being a point where that's no longer worth it, I think is uniquely American. Agreed. It's funny because as we're talking through this, like, like any good art, I'm unraveling these layers and, and, and thinking new perspectives on this. And I, I think the main theme, if I had to boil it down, would be just debt. Because I'm thinking about these stories and another thing that I hadn't thought of until now is the emotional debt that's brought up in this game multiple times and how that happens to Shannon, where she just kind of comes along because she's trying to follow some spooky message from her cousin, but she's actually like directly responsible for Conway injuring his leg in the first place. Cause she has him doing these sound checks where the cave-in happens. And at that point, she just kind of decides that she owes him emotionally. And that's why it's so devastating for her specifically when he leaves and she kind of mm. is lost. And that leads directly into the fifth act. I feel like. Yeah. Well, I, I do have, I, I, sorry, I should have brought this up earlier, but I, I, I can't miss it. The, the whole theme of your choices, not uh, quote unquote, not mattering. Like you have this ability to make choices even if you don't have the knowledge of what they make, is undercut, highlighted, mirrored in the scene where you have no choice but to take the shot. I, like, the more that I think about how those two things, either do they work together? Do they, are they telling me different things? Are they telling me the same thing in different ways? Like, uh, those two thoughts keep coming back to me over and over. Yeah, I I I, I had to bring it up. It, it's 
there's just something something in that you, the, from presenting you with agency that's not actually agency to completely taking your agency away there it there's there's something in the nuance that is really interesting one of the questions i wanted to ask is what that scene represents like even you're with shannon at that point right like yes yeah she, and she's like yo you don't have to take this job but in Conway's mind, he like doesn't even hear her say that. He's not consciously responding to that. So I, I think this, like, when you take that shot and you don't have a choice about it, I, I'm not quite sure what the game is saying. I, I know it's it, it's like saying so many things. I don't know how to synthesize that into like one thought. Is it is it because of the debt? Is it is that all it's saying? It's like he feels like he has no choice to pay off the debt of this. Is I, it I more thought... or is it less? That he already, at the beginning of the game, he already had no idea what he was going to do. This was his last delivery, and it's not like it was a big payout or anything like that. He had nowhere to go after that. He had just probably stayed working for this antique shop from his debt to the family who lost their kid. And he had no idea what was coming next. And he was already in a bad situation with his leg. He was already indebted to the company through... He had absolutely no choice through that. So that's why him taking the shot wasn't as impactful for me because he he literally was like, well, what else am I going to do? They're offering me another driving job. I can do that. But you never hear him oppose it at all. There's no resistance. I, I think it ties, for me, I think it ties into, because something that Will brought up is I think everybody can agree with what the zero represents, and that's not what it represented to me at all. The zero rep- represented escapism and drifting to me. Same with the underground river. It's like this, nobody's really has any responsibilities. They're just kind of, nobody knows where they're going. It's just kind of this wandering. That's what the, the zero and the, what's the underground river called? The echo. That's what those represented to me. And the more I look back at it, the more I feel like Conway was just going along with this. It's not like he had any goal. It's just, okay, this is what we're going to do now. I have no idea what's coming. So another reason why it wasn't this huge thing for me, for him, is like, what else is he going to do? Conway didn't come off to me as like a my favorite character or anything like that he was sad and regretful but it didn't seem like he was like the hero of the story or anything either yeah but i mean if the yeah, question but he was is my sad regretful character yeah the, i thought if the question is what else is he going to do you know that says a lot in itself right if he doesn't have an option and nor do we have one to reject this offering on his behalf i don't think it was that he drifted into it the zero to me represents a place of people that have been forgotten, right? The the people that were left behind as other industries moved on. And for him to be kind of stuck in this position, or not even stuck in it, I mean, he was, you know, handed something that was, in my perception, advice to him for so many years and offered a small moment of relief. And in that moment, he was like, I can have just a small bit of relief from what's happened to me, my leg, from my debt, from my other pieces, right? And I will take that even if it represents that I'm now in debt, but he's not thinking about where that's going to go, right? It's very much to me like a moment in time that he is 
found this one specific way for him to get a moment of relief. And, and that's what makes that, it so tragic because there was a sort of paradise waiting for him too. Yeah. If he, yes, yeah. if he continued on his path. Yep. Like this game hints that those who ride the river, who escape capitalism, who sort of go with the flow, like literally, that there is something, I, I, I don't know if Act 5 is paradise, but Act 5 represents the potential of paradise. Yeah, it's close. Yeah. It's like paradise in this world. Like, there. like it's where the Consolidated Power Company left. Like it's something that they can have agency in. Yeah. It, it, they can make that it work. It doesn't necessarily, even though it's a river, it doesn't necessarily go with the flow for me either is the only thing i do feel like these people you're right they are outcasts and things like that but it feels like they're paving their own way when i say drifter i don't think it's an easy thing to do you know there's effort involved in that more effort yeah i feel like we're breaking well yeah yeah what's up well i just want to jump in like because it fits so perfectly with craig's read but exactly the opposite like (laughs) his to me on the metaphorical level that I was looking at it, that represents his choice to be done. Like that is when he finds that he has a way out of this and his way out of this is his way out of the world. Mm. But to me, his, I, I do, the when you brought it up, I did think of that. It is a form of suicide. It's just working himself to death as suicide, which is probably one of the saddest things that I've thought of in a long time, but. This game talks you out. Yeah, it does. Is there any other themes that anybody would like to bring up? Probably I mean, enough for hours about, to go on, but. Yeah, I think the beautiful thing about what, between addiction and America, which we could argue one is the superset of the other, like you could boil so many other sub themes into those, like the, like the emotional debt's a great example. Like the emotional connection of the characters, I would say, is a theme, but you're right. It, it all kind of does play into debt or into at least the connection towards building something new in Act 5. Like, yeah, I think, I feel like we, we did pretty good there. Nice. So one thing I don't quite get is, and it seems like everybody has taken this for granted, is why do you think this game is particularly an American experience? So I want to, I guess, caveat my answer by saying that I haven't traveled a ton. I haven't lived in any other country. So maybe what I'm about to say is dumb. But to me, it seems that debt is a central theme. And I understand that debt exists in all capitalist countries. But I think the way that they frame it as medical debt in particular contextualizes a piece of this. And I think the other part of kind of my first answer off the top of the head is that the individual agency of each character is a huge part of this game in that they all, all these characters are struggling to find a way to live. And I have the very distinct impression culturally that other cultures don't struggle as much with the question of like, how do I be a person in my society? And I think that that's a really big part of what gets media tagged as like American is when there's this existentialist question of, is my existence worth living? Have I done enough to prove that I'm like a person in our society? Do you have any thoughts on this, Polly? Yeah, well, not on exactly what you said, but to answer Will's question, to me, it's just a general feel. I mean, I have traveled a lot. Obviously, <laughs> I'm American, so, but the fact that it's Kentucky Route Zero to 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 start, and just the 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 tone of the game, the the music, especially the the hymn, the 
almost bluegrassian him versions it just it this game has like this huge glowing sign above it that says americana all over it to me it feels like these themes were expressed on so many like alt country albums or something like that i mean i'm gonna obviously use my experience but like when i think of these like conglomerates coming in and like taking over small towns and things like that it's just such like an npr story to me i i don't know it's just the general tone of it that that feels like an american experience to me right any yeah. thoughts i think the medical debt is the one that specifically plays into my thought about it being very american right the capitalism the Obviously, the setting and the way that you're traveling through a lot of the different pieces of the world, or at least their version of Kentucky, clearly sets it in America. But the fact that medical debt can, to take from you, Will, right, can literally end your life is something that feels distinctly American, right? There's a fear that if something were to happen, that could be it. Right. You might be in debt the rest of your life to an insurmountable amount that you will never get out of it. And that specific piece is the piece that really harkens to America. But the overall setting, the way that we interact with the world, the music, the iconography, the traveling by car or by road, right? Going through and, you know, how you navigate the world also feels distinctly American in the way that. You're just going from place to place and how road tripping has been historically an American ideal, or at least was popularized by the highway system. And I'm also thinking the entertainment specifically feels like such a, the characters feel such small town American bar and the issues that it brings up are like almost like specific issues that were happening at that time. Like they're coming up with new forms of debt and trans debt transferal and things like that. And you pay for the bar with your own debt as well, right? Like you're going to accrue debt. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I, I think that's a good, good question. Does that help? Does that help? Will, or are you still, uh, yeah, I think that answers my question. I, I, I was worried that, like, the setting is the thing that made it American. And to me, I just see setting as, you know, you could throw any old setting in and almost be interchangeable. But you guys really highlighted that, that there's far more about the themes and the, not just the setting, but the 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 atmosphere, those kinds of things, which make it American rather than, this is the name of the city we're in. So, so, so one tiny tangent to that that's kind of interestingly opposed is that one of the main like works of magic realism is A Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who's a Colombian author. And that book is very South American. And that was one of the things that I had read between my like historical playthroughs of this game and the ones in preparation for this podcast. And so many things in this game, like all of the all of the Weaver family are all direct references to 100 Years of Solitude. And that in that book, 
there is like a plot about America, but America is the outsiders, the intruders that come in and ultimately take over the banana farm, but then kind of like fail, crumble, leave the economy in ruins and then pull out. So in that story, which I think is pivotal and hugely inspirational for this media, like, like that's not an American story. So I think to kind of your point, magic realism isn't inherently American. So it's not like the tone of the writing is uniquely like a work of America. I think it's more about the settings and kind of the, the concepts that are being hit on. I, I, I caution, well, maybe we should got, talk about it when we talk about references. I, I caution reading too much into references because they can both mean and not mean the thing that they mean. Yes, we will talk about this soon. Yeah, but I mean, that reference that Nate just brought up, not just the Weaver family, but also like the entire end of the game pretty much seems pretty much directly influenced by that story. So I wanted to ask, what did everybody think of the interludes? Did we play them or did we just stick to the axe? I absolutely love the interludes. One of my favorite parts of the game, probably multiple of my favorite parts of the game come through the interlude. So what'd y'all think? You might be shocked to hear this, but when I played through this game, I couldn't care less about the interludes. I was I had engaged with some of them because I heard they were kind of interesting. But to me, they always seemed, without looking into them, as external. And I was interested in the game as it was. So one of the really cool things about the TV edition to me was it brought those into sort of unignorable focus. And when I did that, I was kind of amazed by all of them. And I realized that that was a really stupid opinion to have. <laughs> they stitched they were the all... experience together. Yeah, Absolutely. in a way that made it all part of the game. And also in a way that made me retrospectively realize that experiencing them out of that would have been even richer. And that's kind of why multimedia sprung to mind is a term I used earlier. Curious, did you play through Unplayable Donata before Act 5? I did not. Wow. Which I is feel part like that of would have been very confusing. I don't know when it's time to talk about my reaction to Act 5, but my reaction to Act 5 was very different than I think everyone else is here. We'll get into that after the interludes. Yeah. I, and pretty much solely for time constraints, did not play through the interludes. I've since heard a lot about them, and I, I should say I attempted to play, what was it, Death of the Hired Man, I think is the last one, right? Which in itself is a huge reference to this series, which we'll talk yeah, about. Yeah, you the hell out of that one. What's he referring um, to? Because that's not a name, is it? Death of the Hired Man? Yeah. It's the <laughs> Act 6 interlude? Death of the Hired Man is the Robert Frost poem, right? Yeah, but it's the After Act 5 interlude? Yes. Did oh. you see this, Polly? I did not. Gabe, we're recording a podcast, you dick. How are you even in here? Get out of here. <laughs> Please leave that in the podcast. Okay. <laughs> I thought we, okay. we didn't have a limit on that. We did have a limit, but I forgot admins are allowed past limit. Uh, I see. Go on. The Act 6 interlude, did you play that one, Polly? I did not play the Act 6 interlude, nor did I realize that it existed. Didn't even so unlock it. And I, if you go back to Equus in Oils. Act 1, it'll unlock. Oh. Will kept the going last... back to Equus Oils in like multiple acts. I was like, why do you keep going back to the gas station? Like, he didn't even know that it was going to unlock the interlude at the end. Oh. Yeah. So I, I like I tried to to watch that one, which 
basically sits you in front of a TV and you can change the channels and play with the static. Apparently there are some like hidden radio signals. And then there are two people having a conversation talking about the shows that are on that you can also listen to. But and, and apparently it's like 45 minutes long. Like there's a lot of TV to each be consumed. The, yeah, each of the channels. Yeah. What's interesting about seeing you do that is that the guy at Equus Oils is talking about the story of death of the death of the salesman, right? So it in one of those words of like when I remember we're listening to those these podcasts analyzing all the references and being like, well that one wasn't obvious at all. It was really interesting seeing you to get go to Equus Oils and him all but say the name of the poem. I think in fact I think he does. And it's like, oh, they were not reaching to find that narrative like implication. It was also right there in the game. It's very interesting to me. I did yeah, notice a, that one spot that was kind of crossed out, but it never opened up for me. So I was just like, nope. <laughs> but I didn't yeah. really look into too much like uh, walkthroughs we'll, of the game or anything we'll like that. talk about that when yeah. it comes to references, because that is actually like one of the biggest references that gets pulled over and over and over in this game. Yeah, but I feel like of the other interludes, they added so much to the game about like ironing out the characters and everything like that and directly referencing things that happen in. Like, I don't know if this is a accepted opinion, but I'm pretty sure the secret Taurus and phone number is Will from the Mucky Mammoth. Oh, it is. Uh, oh. Yeah. They, there's, there's even references in Act 5 to the characters calling back and like checking their emails. And when Will supposedly what i didn't hear this in, myself in, but when will in calls act back four. no no in, in, in act, act five will calls back to the station and the things that players called in and recorded are played back in act five it's in act four though when they go to the telephone is when will text checks his messages okay. and I, I mean i heard that but there's nothing without looking it up there's nothing to tell me that that it, it sound that's one of the clues <laughs> It sounds like something these people, but it's not like they're they're referencing anything from that phone call in, or, except for that one guy that said he tried holding the snake, but it was his hands were really slippery. <laughs> also, <laughs> that was probably the best reference. <laughs> that guy, the guy, the voice actor who does it is some Will something who is a very famous Americana Southern Will Oldham. Yeah, who I'm not familiar with, but you know, it's another. Hint. Did you did you know about the interludes prior to playing through it? Did you know like the story of when they were released or how they were released or any of those pieces? No. Or I didn't I didn't look up anything until I finished the game. Okay, a really important part here is like the the context, the time frame in which you play really kind of matters, right? Yeah. Because yeah. If you're playing this game over seven years, I can totally imagine being like okay, well, it's been a year since the last act and two years till the next act, so why don't I just sit here and uh, listen to this stage play, right? Because that'll take an hour and then I can think about this again in two years. Like, whereas, you know, I was crunching for this podcast and like, ah, I don't, it's a side story, it doesn't matter, it doesn't happen to the main characters, whatever. Yeah. Right. It, it, ironically, yeah, we did already between, prove that there was no main characters between <laughs> between Nate and I. That is like the exact opposite of our preferred way to like engage with me media. You know, 
probably oversimplify it here for you, Nate, but Nate likes, you know, the short story. Here's the thing going to be done. And I'm like, oh, I want like all the side stories. I want to see how, you know, this lamp post showed up back in history and this other character had an interaction with it, which led to this other thing. And here's this whole other book about the prequel story to how this thing came in. And you see that thing that's sitting on the chair over there. That's the sweater that the character from act two left. Like those are totally the things that I am all, all about interested in. And just because of the way things worked out, I had no uh, interaction with it in this particular game. You did have a good podcast to carry you through that. The Eggplant Into the Depth series on this probably should not go without being recommended here. Like, I feel like that probably carried you most of the way through understanding what a lot of those interludes were doing. Were you totally. listening to that while you played? Uh, I listened to it afterward, and I've got a section at the end for references, but I do want to bring up Eggplant for another specific reason later. I interleaved episodes of Into the Depths because they broke it by act and interlude. So we would listen, then play, listen, then play. Except for Act 5, which Craig had played before. Right. So he did Act 5's episode afterwards. Yeah. The, so the I, interludes were... Sorry, go ahead, Will. If we're going to be talking about it, I was extremely surprised by somebody at the end of the Act 5 on the Eggplant podcast. I'm, I'm not sure if... I think everybody here listened to it, right? Yes. Polly's shaking his head. So, at the end of this podcast, as they're do, they have this tendency to do oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> listener letters, and all of a sudden there was a letter from uh, Snivitz. What? <laughs> Having the most fucking personal, in-depth story, and they they used the letters from the viewers as like contextual things to drive their podcast in different directions, which I think is pretty cool. But they used his to like close it out and say, "Yes, this is awesome. This is how the games can affect people." Bam, and that's how they end their podcast. I was like, "God damn!" <laughs> For those of you who don't they, know, they totally. Uh, what do you call it? Stone-faced it. What's the word? Yeah, Nate didn't say anything about this, and Nate is Snivitz. Yeah. Nate is Snivitz. Yeah, so I have to listen to a podcast for over 10 hours or so. To have that dropped into it, the end of it was like... <laughs> I got I two. I love your stone-facedness with this. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool that they included it. That was special. I was hoping... I, I kind of sent it to them in their Discord, hoping that they would ask Jake and Tomas about, like, yo, how the fuck do you guys know about medical debt? Like, what? It feels like that's a personal part of the story, but. Yeah, it does feel connected, or at least part of their family, or something. Like, they've had first hand experience with it. It definitely feels that way. For me, in regards to the interludes, I think Un Pueblo de Nada was the one for me that really. I mean, that's not fair. The one between Act Two and Three where you're like sitting in the bar from a totally different angle. Oh. It was such a cool, like, oh, this is the bar where the scene happens and I know what's going to happen. And it was really cool going back to see the interludes filling out details from a game I already knew. Yes. And Un Pueblo de Nada was actually the most interesting one to me because that was the point where I was like able to approach this game as something more than a work of art. And at that point, as well, more than a work of art, it's kind of loaded, but I started seeing it as more of a game, and Un Pueblo de Nada really led into Act 5 in a way that I would never have expected something called an interlude to do. Like, And I also just think Un Pueblo de Nada was incredibly cool on its own. Like The the, the way that like 
they introduced that mechanic of like you looking at things and the like interface doing like diegetic things that represented your feelings about what you were looking at was like, oh man, that's cool. I, I agree. Like, I think the, my favorite gameplay came from that interlude. Yeah. I feel like that was the best, if you want to call it a mechanic. Yeah. But it was my favorite experience uh, of controlling the game for sure. And the only, the only thing I could think of that it like even that that like game design mechanic even played into in Act 5 was the fact that Will pointed out that all the shapes of the meow button were different, he felt, according to the shape of the sound of the meow. <laughs> did you guys notice I this? I totally see it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I did not notice that. If there was like, like a look, rough purr and then like a long tail, it would be like curly curly and a long tail and then... <laughs> I can see it every time. He was like, look at the icons, man. They sound like the meows. And I was like, whoa. Interesting. The details. But, so, yeah. But just a quick run through because we're talking about the interludes. The first one, walking through museum exhibit exhibition, didn't like do anything for me. Mm. But then like after in act two, it made a bit more sense, but just in like the smallest way connecting a character. But then act two, I was, I was influenced by my previous expectations and I was a little bored at first and not sure what I was supposed to do. Like I kept reading the things that weren't the actual play that was happening in front of me, but I did enjoy it to once I figured out what was going on. Um, and that's the but VR then one, I liked right? it. Well, it's not really VR, but yes. It's the one that, the one that was, was designed for a VR yeah, yeah, yeah. perspective. Uh, but then it was the VR, VR perspective, right? Yeah, but then they stripped VR from it and you can't. But then after playing through Act 3, I was like, oh, this actually like directly ties into it so severely. I, I like it better now. I actually went back and watched the entertainment again with that new perspective, which was awesome. And then here and there along the echoes, probably my favorite just because I, I, I love his voice. I love the quirkiness of the really whole good. thing and like the interactivity of it the actual act itself i wasn't as big of a fan of just calling him a number i love that taking it out of the game and, Did and you making call it a bit more real to me got to the interlude while while i was playing the interlude i i called and i was going through and i like <laughs> couldn't figure out how to go back and i was like what if i just did this on my phone because it was the thing that clued me into it is it was a real number. It wasn't like a five 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 number, right? And I was like, they know somebody's going to call this, so they must have done something. Yeah. I didn't think it would necessarily be the whole phone tree, but when I was pleasantly surprised by that, there are a couple of other numbers you can call but, as well that are brought up in the game. Yeah. But I mean, um, you you called it in the context of the interlude, not in the context of chapter two when it actually shows up. In chapter Galaxy Brain. two. Yeah, there's a pamphlet that you can pick up and look at the yeah. back of that has oh, the phone number. Oh, I on did it. no, no, no. I did I did I did pick up something about the secret tourism, but I don't remember there being a phone number. So, it's if it's possible for me to not look at the back of it, that's probably what happened there. So, yes. But then act or the interlude between act 4 and act 5 with Pablo Donato was my favorite. It's the way and what really pushed over the edge was after I played it and I went back and watched the video of that broadcast. And I strongly encourage anybody who hasn't watched that, you should play through the interlude first just to like compare it to the the actual game. But it's but so well done. It's does the dude so... fall asleep? Yeah. Yeah, Did you not watch it, was, No, I haven't seen no, the I source didn't. material. It, 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 it is exactly the game 
reimagined in real life. Like it That's is so, crazy. so uncannily perfect. Uh, I, I love, you can even hear the crow at, at a point. Like it's like so perfect. So yeah, I, I, they made me enjoy the game so much more. If it was just the axe, I don't think I would have gotten as much out of it because it wouldn't have brought it into the, the real world for me. And, and also the way that you, you're finally introduced to these characters that you've been, who haven't been hearing you throughout the game, you're finally introduced to them and you needed to be before act five. It's just, it was, that was my favorite interlude for sure. Probably my favorite part of the game. So if nobody else wants to gush about the interludes. Yeah, I say there, there's one specific thing there. I think it's interesting, the context that Nate and I were able to observe them, which is with the foresight of already you've seen in the other episodes, right? Or the other acts and playing through them because you can now see what the references were. You can see, oh, here's like the technology they're trying out, right? You can see that they are preparations for what's to come in ways that playing them as a standalone piece, I don't think you would really get to your point, Paul, is you have to get to the next like act and then you can think back and be like oh this is how this was set up um going back through it and seeing them actually as part of the narrative was really interesting just to see oh this is referencing something that's coming up that i'm aware of which i don't know if that's a success or a failing of the game but it's definitely an interesting way to to kind of perceive them it's it's tough to say because like i like i said like I don't know if I would have gotten more enjoyment if I played the act first or not, but I did right. get that. And I did go back to the entertainment afterwards That's because it was like, oh, this is to bleed into the next one. This is where one of my favorite scenes happened. This mm. is the intro to that awesome fucking concert at the lower depths with the Android band who I didn't realize was an Android for real for too long. Cause I just thought they were being weird and quirky. And then like, I was like, wait, there are robot sounds when this dude walks and they keep going back to that. So I guess they are Androids. But yeah, that's, that's, that's a scene that, that stands out to me from the acts specifically is, is that that concert by Junebug is amazing. One of my favorite pieces of music in a video game. Absolutely. I, I feel like my answer to like my favorite scene is complicated. So, in what way? What stuck with each of you guys? Well, okay, I guess I can go. Yeah, I'm I'm paying you right up. For me, when I played these games act by act, obviously the lower depth scene was just a fucking roof blower. Like that is such a cool, literally unbelievable, yeah, piece of art in games. And I learned later that that's like a direct homage to Twin Peaks, the scene with Julie Cruz singing in the diner and everyone watching her. That's kind of interesting, but just the way it's done, the it's like a perfect scene with the embodiment of this game's view of meaningful choice. The, like the song is always going to be the same, but you do get to pick the lyrics, but the the overall like meaning and tone remains the same, which I think is so cool. I love the music. I love, I like that it's Ben Babbitt, like trying to find his singing voice. He's always been uncomfortable hearing his own voice. And Junebug was like an attempt to find a voice he was comfortable with. And he like liked the sound of that coming out of his speakers. Yeah, I, I read about that afterwards as well. And also I saw an interview where he said the forthcoming Junebug album. I don't, I just wanted to ask if you know anything about this. 
have it, listen to it. It's great. It's a whole lot of bug. I couldn't find it. I don't have it on vinyl. I'm shame. It's I, on Bandcamp, son. I, I found multiple artists named Junebug, but not the correct one. Were you trying to search Bandcamp? Because maybe that's for you. I did not wrong. search Bandcamp, yeah. There are three total soundtracks for this. Two of them are like soundtracks, Memory Overflow and the original soundtrack, and then the Junebug album. They're all on Bandcamp. But I think the what I was kind of hinting at at being complicated is replaying this game all in one go. The scenes that stood out to me are completely different, and so many more things stood out vividly. There were so many more th- my memory of like playing it through act by act was that the June bug scene was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And the rest of the acts, I was like hoping for another moment like that. Okay. But pe- playing it. Uh huh. No, no, I was curious. Yeah. So was that the only scene that stood up the first time? I mean, a lot of scenes, like I enjoyed all of it, but that was like truly the like blowout scene, the stand up, the stand away scene to me. Playing it this time, I think almost every scene in this game is just incredible. The. What comes to my mind most is the song during the burial in Act 5. I just think it's, every time I watch it, it's more incredible. I, It feels like it's the whole game wrapped into one scene in a way that's like completely like unknowable and alien. And I, I don't know exactly what it's saying, but it's so incredibly powerful to me. The, the scene where Shannon's walking down the stairs at the restaurant as Conway's like elegy plays is also like just mind-blowing. But I think my favorite song in this game is definitely where you're walking through the woods on the way to have to see the doctor. I I love that song more than anything. Like that is my favorite song in the game now, even more than the Junebug one. It's so cool. And the way the art is done to like illustrate you moving through the woods with Julian in the background is just so I, I don't know. I think it's also the knowledge of where the game goes from there that's just incredibly intense to me. I, I agree that scene is super powerful with they do like a weird parallax effect where yeah. it's like it feels like you're walking for yeah, longer and not... farther than you actually are. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, that that scene is probably one of the ones that really jumped out to me too. And it's not just that it's a like it's not just that it's a visual trick, it's that it's an impossible visual visual trick. There are things where um like the shadow, the shade between trees is cut out and things that should be further in the back. And so you can never get a sense of any of the layers or anything. Apparently this whole thing is a another homage to uh, an artist whose name I'm sure I'll remember later and throw in the, the comments. But that the visuals on that were just striking. And along with the visuals, the, the visuals, are like the, the dropping away of the ceiling in the June bug scene was one of the, the those visuals that like I looked at and was just really amazed by. the And it's funny, I, I had messaged Nate a couple of days after playing the game that that song was stuck in my head. So I'm not sure if I even like that song, but it's just freaking catchy and, you know, an earworm. And then there's a lot of, I, I really love some of the, the, the like special visual effects that they do. Things like the zooming in, but into the TV in act one or, and like coming into, or Conway coming into and out of consciousness at the end of uh, act two, beginning of act three, how the like house builds around him kind of as he's like bring, bring being brought back into consciousness i love the i love the way they use the visuals to kind of hint at like different mind spaces those kinds of things Th- those are some of the things that uh really jump out to me i think 
two more things that like stood out to me this time are the two like overt workers rights moments like the catholic adjacent pastor or, or priest talk in the self-storage facility storage facility Oof. is really fucking intense and interesting and beautiful to me as well as the bat sanctuaries like like monument to the fallen workers extremely intense yeah and and right after that, the one operative working at the phone switch that's taken the place of 13 workers on that same note. That AI. I think if, like, when we're talking about what scenes stand out to us, I think I have to bring up the Act 4 is my favorite act. Act 4, it's not because it's the longest. It's just I liked so many things about Act 4. Even just the in-between, like, it was really neat controlling yourself and going around the zero and going around the map and everything. But one of my favorite things was just sitting on that boat and hearing Will tell me stories about these landmarks were going by. Like there were such neat little stories and it was just like super relaxing and enjoyable. It was like, put me in this like dream state that was just like, I, I felt more there than anywhere else in the game. One more before. Just to cut Craig off, the the Iron Pariah scene where there's multiple narratives flowing from different points of view is like something that that game could have done more and would have been, and I like trust that game to have pulled that off interestingly. Like it's really fucking fast. I would play a whole game of that mechanic, but how suddenly the sound like starts building into this horrible set of screeching and, and you like realize it 30 seconds before like a battleship full of cats comes on screen. I just, I absolutely love the sound design of that scene. I love how Will called it out right before it came on screen. Like, what is that sound? Like, it just is so fucking cool. That was, that was going to be one of mine. That was the, the Iron Pariah specifically with the cats coming in. And then I'll hit on a couple other very quickly. So the mammoth, as it enters into the end of the act, is just like a mood and then actually at the start of the game so the equus oils just when you see it it just sets a tone of the piece like so much for what this is going to be right you like have the iconography of the gas station you have the iconography of like night setting in dusk there's like so much that's built into the framework of just one visual piece i love how that in that particular scene you see the horse's head, and then mm -hmm. it wasn't until I came back up that I realized, oh, the rest of the horse is under the ground. Wait, what? Which is that true? Yeah, interesting. The horse Which is buried. The burial in Act Five, right? Yeah. Oh man, yes. Which is it, it wasn't until I came like back up to like see the horse's body form into the head that I was like, oh shit! I'm upset that I, I totally missed that. There was yeah. The other well. scenes that you guys referenced were. Some of the ones that were even a bigger standout, but then the last piece I think is Act Five and seeing Dogwood Drive. Like it, outside of it being the PlayStation Home logo, which is whatever, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. They actually made them include that to include cross support. Right. Exactly. Um, it's just seeing the silhouette of what a typical home is that you would imagine right if you think of what is a home you think of walls with kind of the pitched roof and just seeing that in the light reflecting off the water which is the other piece the rain at the start of act three i think it was is it act? yeah it's act three and where you walk down the yeah you're walking across the puddles and it's reflecting you can see the stars above you but the camera's always pointing down and it's just 
it almost looks like you're walking on glass. It, that was incredible as well. And how it takes control in that scene. And you're like looking at the stars so much. You're like, holy shit, I'm a different character now. Yeah. As it transitions from Conway. I want to talk a lot more about Act 5. I don't know where the place for that is, but I'm like, man, I love Act 5. I mean, if you want to talk about it, I just, before you get there, I have a couple more scenes that I thought of. One thing you were talking about, the dual perspective story. Mm -hmm. They do kind of do that at the Radvansky Center in Act 4 when you go and take the survey because it's the weirdest fucking perspective where you're watching a security camera of one of the main characters take a questionnaire for money and but you're hearing the audio or reading the audio of the people who are watching the security camera in the future and they're commenting on the survey answers another fucking perspective shift like <laughs> like so fucked up and normally it's very hard for me to follow multiple characters in in text form when there's so many characters and you just get confused. But for some reason, this, that one scene really worked for me. And the only other scene is the introduction of Junebug, the motorcycle passing by and, oh. and shifting perspective and coming back. I thought that was expertly done and, and looked fucking beautiful. I thought that was, and it introduced probably my favorite, my favorite characters other than Will as well. I was trying really real like hard Will. not to turn around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. You were like, those people will be fine. Yeah, it's, it's fine. <laughs> I'll figure One it out. One more scene I would like to Better mention get is... to the show, Will. Plenty I forget. Audience members. It, what act is the Museum of Dwellings in? Because Two. I remember like a 25-year-old yeah. mate who's like never really seen theater in any meaningful regard, never been part of it, was like, oh, these guys know theater. And for me, that informed the... Like the way the camera starts in the rafters and just rotates, I was like, I've never... This is such a like. You're also the pers you're from the security camera, right? Right, which is it kind of relates to the Radinsky Center, right? Where like, you're like watching it. What is that second person? No, that's not second person. But that was my moment of like, oh, these guys know how to like move a camera as if it's a character in the piece. The camera's saying as much as the characters, which I was just so impressed by, and it really helped me understand a lot of this as like an inter multimedia piece of art instead of just a game. Excellent. Any other scenes that stand out? The whole thing. <laughs> Is there any scenes that people found funny, uplifting, or broke up some of the constant ominous theme of loss, grief, despair, and disempowerment? What a good question. The cat. Just. You, the you should know you wrote funny. it. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like I wrote it. <laughs> Are, are you talking about the iron? Are you talking about Act Five? No, I'm cat? talking about the Act Five's cat, like the interaction of the cat with the characters. Like it gave you something Meow. to hold on to, as far as you know, a, a bit of innocence among this world. That cat has always felt lost and confused and alone to me. So I didn't get levity from that at all. And that to me, dark the cat out. felt alone to you. Yeah, like he's lost. He doesn't know where he's going. He that he's just kind of meandering from place to place. Like, I you was imagine most, most cats yeah, are like kind of have a highly direct mission that they're following, other than what's in that bush. <laughs> and Real it dog makes a noise. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I it I don't know. It just reminded me of like 
the the times that I found dogs wandering the street, and every single time I'm like, I have to stop. I have to go find. I I don't care what I was doing in my life. Now I, my job is to find this dog's owner. That's what this felt like to me. Like this hmm. cat is lost, and now I need to find its owner. That's interesting. It's an interesting question, Nate, because I don't necessarily think of scenes like that as much as there's just these little moments or even just jokes that kind of are placed very well and sometimes self-referential, like the bears in yeah. the Museum of Dwellings, or what is it? Is that what it's called? Oh, they're in the, the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces, right? Reclaimed Spaces, yep. that's what it is. Bears? I don't know what I expected. And then they refer to that earlier or later on in the game somewhere. I forget where, but it's like there was a bear problem. Oh, there was a bear problem in the town in Act 5. And then the bears all just went away. And it turns out they all ended up on floor 4 or 5 or whatever of the bureau. I That's that amazing. The, 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 at first, the bears I just thought were funny. And I visited the bear room a couple times. But then having that callback was great for me. Oh, actually... Uh, you just reminded me the loop. I can't, there's a name for that loop. The bureaucratic loop. Yeah. That one g- gave me a good old chuckle. Cause, hey, oh, you where remember, you can just keep going desk to yeah. desk. Yeah. In order to do this, you need this form. <laughs> Go talk to that person. Oh, we can't oh. do you because you haven't got your card. Go talk to that person. Go talk to the... And you just keep going and going and going. I, I was like... Oh, I gave up on that pretty quickly. I went... <laughs> I went directly back to the to the uh, person in charge. It was like, nah. I immediately got the tr- there's a trophy for doing it three cycles, something like that, and hit it first Amazing. time Excellent. without even thinking about it. I am, as we all know, obsessed with architecture and the architecture of the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces. I love when she's like, "Are we inside or outside?" And you can answer both. <laughs> like that's just such an interesting game space. How there's like an organ hidden off screen if you go far enough to the right. It, Something about that space is just very memorable to me. It's a guy a, playing it over there. Yeah, that, yeah. that space is Will, a, right? a specific... Yes, Will is the playing the organ upstairs. But that space is a specific architectural reference. I would expect you, of all people, to catch. There's some... Not being an architect, I'm a butcher this, but there's some guy with like five specific rules about how you design buildings. They have to like be on stilts and and something like that. And I, I thought that was right up your alley. Oh, we're talking about this is the proposition of modernism, right? By what's just right. hold on, hold on. While you're thinking of that, it did. There was a reference that made me think of something I, I experienced where they said that it's like we're inside, but there's it has its own weather. Which made me think of there's a Boeing building that has weather inside it. Huh. Is that really all of the funny or uplifting areas that we thought about in this game? <laughs> great bringing us back, Greg. You got it, Nate? Um, I, well, I'm thinking of. Hold on. Search engine optimization. Imagine architecture. So. Oh, God. The other architecture references. No, I don't get it. All right. We'll come back to that. Never. Wait, what did Craig just say? Was there anything I, else that I had was a thought funnier of, of looking? Damn it. All right, moving on. We've talked about art multiple times. I, I feel like, although this question says, does Kentucky Route Zero feel more like art than other games? I feel like I should ask, why does figure out zero feel more like art than other games well i'm glad you asked and i feel like so 
we all remember back when this game started, I guess. I was going to say a billion years ago, but I could just say when Kentucky Round Zero started, there was a debate, are games art? And everyone decided, yes, they're art. And the debate is dead. I don't think that's still a conversation that's ongoing. However, when I was playing this game, I was struck with the realization that like, oh, this game is more art, though, than other games. And so that got me into like retroactively wondering, is that what people were actually asking in 2011? No. Like, is our games high art? And I think we all agree that games are a series of arts. There's no question about that. Game like game is most art of any medium, no doubt. But games might not be high art. And so then I got into like, what is high art? Is high art referentiality? I think in video games, maybe high art is knowledge of and reference of work outside the medium of games, like being intertextual in that way. And I, I guess I just started going down this rabbit hole of like, why does this feel so much like art? Which I guess could also take us into the question of like, do the references this game makes like make it any smarter? Maybe not. That was a bunch of questions. Does anyone have any thoughts that that brought up? I don't feel to answer one of your questions. I don't feel like the referentiality adds to the artiness of this game because I didn't I didn't know a lot of the references. Right. I feel like to me. This intense conversation that we're having, it proves, proves its, its worthiness as art. I feel like the fact that you can take multiple meanings out of it, just admiring the beauty of these scenes from whether it's a perspective thing or just a, a technological trick they did to make you think of something. It's the way that they use what was available to them to make something beautiful to me that made it art. Also pairing that up with an exceptional tonality and feeling of wholeness included in the music, the visuals, the characters, just the feel that this place, that this setting feels bigger than it actually, than anything presented to you. All those things kind of just add to, to why it feels so artful. And, and also some of that may detract from the funness of the game. Again, I don't feel like this is a great game. I feel like it's a great piece of art. It's not very fun. And I feel like another part of it is it's not, nothing about this game seems simplified. I feel like one of the problems is with, with games being viewed as art is a lot of things are just, you're taken by the hand, you're walked through this story where you have to bring something into this game to get something out of it. I think you mentioned one of the pieces there, which is like the deconstruction of mechanics, right? This is an adventure game, but not in the context of historical adventure games. You're not seeking out some sort of item that unlocks the next way forward, right? There's no dating mechanics that force you into anything outside of a conversation. And I think those aspects of it that remove most of the gameplay portions of this, or at least what we would typically consider that, do force it more into the direction of being art, quote unquote. I think the other piece there is that the referentiality, right? You don't have to know what art piece or what, you know, specific era in the 70s or 80s or where these different pieces come from to have context that there's something else being captured here. And I think one of the greatest strengths of the game to me is its trust in the audience to tell you something and believe that you can 
turn it into anything. Will, you got something? I have a couple more thoughts, but does that bring anything to mind? I want to talk more about the references, but I, I'll pass it. We will speech. talk about that next. Yeah. I There's one reference I'll add. Sorry. When I referenced to other people what I was playing, right? I didn't mention that I was going to play a game. It was like I was going to watch or take part in a play like that was how i kind of thought about when i was using my time for this it was in that context right you can go and play many things but this to me was going to it it took on the same context of going to the theater when i was sitting down to play an act right it was like i'm gonna go observe a piece of art with a play with characters and a story that's being told i'm not going to play from a mechanical perspective yeah that reminds me of while i was playing i got a message over playstation from somebody i haven't talked to in a long time and they were like oh i saw you were playing kentucky route zero i heard lots of good things about that game is it good and i was like fuck no yeah i had no idea how to respond to that question it's like am i you playing? a good time paulie like absolutely not i'm pretty miserable right now and i'm kind of <laughs> liking it <laughs> i'm sad and um, it's okay two things about kind of what we talked about that spring to mind i think so i had said something about video games not being very referential i think video games are rarely referential outside of the medium but video games inherently are referential to the medium mm. whereas a lot of art is most arty when you know about what it's referencing in the same way like even an assassin's creed is extremely arty in that it's building on decades of well not only assassin's creed games but decades of video games and abuse. like all of these things yeah yeah you <laughs> we're not talking about a david cage game come on so in that way, it's not that games are any less referential. So I kind of take back what I said about that. Um, and you you kind of hear about that when you see all those YouTube videos of like, I got so and so to play video games and they've never played it before, and they're just like, what the fuck is this? Like I didn't, I don't understand half of what it is, and I thought video games are going to be more than this. I think the other thing to me is like the density of the work. I think it was in the Eggplant podcast on Mutazione where they're talking about the density of a work being the the number of times more that you spend thinking about a piece of media after playing it and that high that things that are considered artistic have high density. Mm. And I certainly think that this game sticks with you much longer than you actually play it. So I kind of almost think that's a high like I don't often think about an Assassin's Creed after beating it, but I do often think it about, you know, the June bug scene or the meaning of debt. I think about Marvel movies for longer than I have watched the movies. So I see where you're talking about high art. <laughs> you fucker. Excellent counterpoint uh, there. Yeah. Guardians okay. of the galaxy taught me to love. But I feel like but, uh, definitely Nate. I feel like that's a good intro to our next topic. Does its referentiality add or detract from each of us, either from KRZ as a game or KRZ as a work of art? Which references Will. stood out, which were interesting? Tell us, Will. The, the, there are so, so many references in this game, and they're, it's really cool and that there are references to all kinds of things, all different kinds of mediums. The... The problem that I have with the references in this game is it doesn't ever feel like it's 
to a point. A great example of that is Roberta. Roberta is a character you meet very briefly who, you know, there is a famous Roberta in video games. And so my first thought is, oh, are they referencing Roberta Williams? And then they make it really obvious that, yes, this is who they are referencing. But there's no point. That that doesn't help me understand the story any better. Like, I don't have additional context about what that character's motivations might be. I don't feel more tragic about her the way that that character resolves that character being roberta williams does not interplay with other characters in a way that makes the story any more full because of that like there another example the eggplant guys were talking about is the 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 dog's name potentially being homer and they're like oh well one of the reasons why it's homer is because homer started the you know the odyssey or the iliad in media's res and that's kind of a mirror on how this game starts and it's like that's a fun nice throwaway reference but it doesn't help inform me it doesn't help build this story to, to anything other than to say hey look at the cool references that we 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 both know like it, it it, it, it almost come off as like a side joke. Does yeah. does that detract from the game for you, Will? Though the way the way I'm <laughs> hearing it, first off, for listeners, definitely not Polly, who might not know who Roberta Williams is, and, and obviously, obviously, understanding the Homer reference Great to me, it, it couldn't it just be a nod, like. I, I needed a name and I thought this was a cool name to include. Like, I mean, I have been working on a, I don't know what to call it. Cause it's a play that's played out. With <gasps> Is it a multimedia in, project? It's, it's <laughs> it sounds like a, a multimedia project. It's a music playlist that has interludes of text and those lyrics from the songs inform the story. But I named a main character, Victor Steele in reference to Peter Steele, because I wanted to just give a nod to Peter Steele of typo negative being one of the huge inspirations for this, not necessarily to inform anything about the story or, or set a tone for that character. So I'm just curious, is, is it a bad thing they did that? Or is it possible that you're just expecting too much from that reference? So I don't know that I would put the word bad on it. The thing that it does is leave me, the player, in the same position that choices do. I cannot strategize i cannot think ahead i cannot be clever about in informing like oh this character's name is romeo so he's gonna die in a scene so i know that i can uh weasel away i can think thoughtfully ahead i can work through all those things it kind of it puts you on that back foot it puts you in that that sense of the unable to know like if for me, somebody who likes thinking about these things a lot, I'm trying to like think down all these paths, all these different characters, how these characters might interact with each other, but it goes nowhere. And like, that's the point, I think, that the story is trying to get you to, that the way that it's trying to make you feel. But just like you were saying, this game doesn't feel good. Like, it, it's intentionally trying to put you in this sense of despair. And so it's like just another level of how... This game is trying to put you into that um, mind space to me. That's interesting. I I think the more that I, once I started like studying this game and wanted to like host a podcast on it, 
it became clear that this podcast is as much one story arc as it is a collection of the creator's passions. Like the video art. Like I think the whole Xanadu thing was weird. Like when, when I think about yeah. when I think about sections that are like their interests, I mean I guess Roberta's in that same section, right? Like it, that whole Hall of the Mountain King is like it's interesting, but it feels like a pause from progression of the game. Wouldn't want it to not be there. It's just it's definitely like noticeable, you know. Like the oh these guys are video art history nerds. Um. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I was yeah. kind of not with Will on his point there until you brought up that because that did detract from my experience with the game just because I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed one part about that whole computer simulation, the fact that it was self-referential and there was a point where you're yeah, like, pretty much yeah. you getting ready to do what you were already doing, like the old Spaceballs joke, but the thing i just i've i wasn't looking for that experience in the game so like that part of the game was probably the least enjoyable to me especially because i was kind of if you're gonna present me with i need to min max these meters i'm gonna do it even though you keep (laughs) telling me that i should probably try to restart the game but i had i was going 100 percent romance and 100 percent of production for a good I don't know, 50 minutes probably before I finally gave it up. Props on your commitment. It, it's That's neat amazing. that it's there. It's neat that it's there, but it wasn't necessarily enjoyable. So I'm coming over on Will's side there. Let's with the names. I feel like the names were just references that were just thrown in as sort of like a a, a nod. That, but That game that you play is Colossal Cave Adventure. Yeah, yeah, no, I, the, I, I get that. Oh. Like, there are, everything is a reference. I I think it the commentary on game design there is super interesting to the point where I wouldn't even suggest that I wanted it, that I would have rather it not all be there. Like, the, the obsolescence of the creator, when you leave Donald being like, his quote being, now we too recede into history, like, as clearly as we're talking about game design, like, that's all super interesting. It's just kind of a bummer that it's like, and, and it's beautiful. It's just a bummer that it's also, like, not fun to play, really. It, it just feels like a pausing, I guess. So talking about... Yeah, talking about references, it. I was upset that I missed this one. Nate, do you know who John Conway is? We're not talking about... No, I don't. Who? John Conway is a one of the very first computer programmers. He came up with the game of life. The game That's of life. Conway's game of life. Jesus Christ! You're is right. Also referred to as the first zero-player game. Yeah. Okay. Galaxy Brain. Like all over the place. These references. Now it's this big obvious reference that hits you in the forehead does it help me nah like okay uh, the the your point that i'm with you up until that point of does it help me because i feel like you're looking <laughs> yeah, for like yeah. this easter like egg that doesn't exist but I, I hear what you're saying but i think that's I, the point I feel like you definitely have a point 
The no, point is I, that I I'm looking like for it's... something that doesn't exist, and me looking for something is the thing that they're trying to get me to do. That's that's the part where I disagree with you because I don't feel like they're trying to twist this will knife. I feel like you're bringing <laughs> that that baggage. Not uh, not to attack you or anything. Uh, it's interesting. I just l- enjoy talking about this. I. We waited a month for this podcast. It couldn't have been just Craig and I. We needed the presence of Will, the gamer here, like the true like game design enthusiast. <laughs> the fact his point about, well, his name is Romeo, so I could totally game this. It's like, but if you met somebody named Romeo, <laughs> you, just, you know they're going to die. Yeah, gonna right. die. <laughs> Instant suicide. Great. If you're introduced sure, to a character who's Romeo life. and a character named Juliet, you have a pretty good idea where that story is going to yeah. go, regardless mm. of what happens. Right? So you know what's going down. Like, there's tons of stuff, and the eggplant can talk about a lot of these references way better than I can. But, like, one of them is the... Oh, shit, I just lost her name. The the two characters in the mine... Weavers? The, not Weavers. The the Conway meets the, the, the girl and her cousin. One of them's in the mine. Shannon. Shannon and Weaver? Shannon, Weaver, and... Yep, sorry. Uh, right. What's the other character? What... So Shannon and Weaver? I think Shannon and Weaver are like they're famous for information theory information theory is all about signal to noise ratio the very first thing that shannon does in this game is have you talk so that she can measure out this cave system based on the signal to noise ratio of what's coming back like there's that's interesting i guess it's something that's comes on it, it it's part of the story it doesn't it doesn't matter. It doesn't inform anything going forward. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's Weaver Marquez. The last name is Marquez. I was kind of curious about that. That came up, and this is probably a reference as well, so maybe you folks know, but Shannon's parents were the song archivists, and Weaver's parents were the miners. And I kind of felt like that would come up more than just the miners being killed in the flood, but was there more to it that I missed? I forget their names. You do find their names in the outside of the mine, but was there anything more to that? I I want to say no, but it feels like a rookie move, probably. <laughs> everything means something and also yeah. nothing in this game. That's right. right. Any other references anybody wants to bring up? I think, so I read an interesting Destructoid article about why is this game a classic? And one thing that they said was, that that this game is referential not just in a single time that it references the entire history of america all in one and that that was something they felt that made it a classic alongside like grapes of wrath and things like that is that these aren't these are about their times but they're timeless that's a good question what time period do you think this game happens in oh that is a great question oh I think it takes place, to me, it took place in the 90s. Because no one has a cell phone? I mean, it's in that era where there's a transition away from, like, CRT TVs and this way of, like, trying to repair different mechanical objects that we had. And just the the way that communities interacted with each other feels like it crossed the threshold during that decade. There are all kinds of indications all throughout this game that the game is set in all kinds of different time periods, all at the same time. And 
there's like, like 70s or 80s there's like st- yeah. there's it's, a- it's almost impossible it's kind of yeah where which and maybe that's what era do you identify different parts of like some of these experiences in your life that you might be able to reference to or something where you think that this was occurring my memory stuff is stuff that like leads to it being a post-apocalyptic game there's yeah, stuff to yeah. it being like before the invention of you know a whole bunch of the you know around the uh origin of computers there's like there's tons of all, very these times all at the same time yeah you have the end of uh, of coal mining you have and you have what are different avenues All right. Excellent. So what do we think of the hints, at least in act five, the hint that the entire game is circular. So is this where we're going to start talking about act five? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, so I only read about this after the fact, but the horse burial that we already kind of talked about that hints at Equisoils, like being a buried horse as well. Apparently one of the characters in Act five that you over here is teaching the bed quilt ramblers how to play the D and D game that they're playing in the beginning of Act one. That's only if you pocket the dice from dice the, from the beginning of the game. game. Another place where the game remembers what you've done. Do you think is there other things that's is that shocking to you, or does that kind of just make sense that time is circular in this game? Because to me, Act five sets up a conclusion, and it and that. Playing Act 5 a second time was what set me up to like understand this as an arc and a more conventional story. And so then when I heard people talking about that, I was like, ooh, yeah, maybe I, I'm a moron. There's all sorts of things that reference a circular zero nature, being a right? Circle. Yeah, the zero, yeah. like, as you travel through. Zero, the, the echo, all of Act 5 are all yeah. big zeros. Right. There's a lot that loops in on itself. The menu. Yeah, the menu, yeah, as it's soon as you the finish it and yeah. you just wrap back around Act 1, at least in, in the TV edition. They they directly reference the circular nature as well with how it seems like this place, communities disappear and then are immediately reestablished and things like that as well. I tried oh. to play a lot of Act 5 in that kind of hopeful we are here here to start a new community where we're going to build we're going to take built on good bones as they said right like this is this may have been the end of that old town but this is the beginning of the in the new town this is how we're starting our new community like yeah there's a lot of rebirth through death kind of stuff i didn't did you guys catch that at all throughout like acts two through four? Because it wasn't until act five really was kind of the part where it started to link back in on itself, where I started to think about it in that framework. But up until then, I wasn't thinking about this being something that looped in on itself or that people were going through something that was an inevitability. I could see Conway's delivery job as being the job that he takes after he leaves the distillery. The but be- I certainly didn't get anything from the text. The Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces, their whole point is to go and find dis, you know, disused, discrepant places and turn them into a re- reclaimed spaces, I'm sorry, and to reclaim those spaces and find something uh, new to put in, new to make well, them into. The, fit the museum the in the end. When you go back. The music. Yeah. Oh, I mean, 
the narrative versus the themes, right? Like the whole in Act Two, all the people are living in that that uh, museum that's like a museum that's been turned yeah. into a home space, but it's also being moved to another space by the by the bird. Like yeah. and they like leave the, during the day and come back or. There's some yeah. yeah, he has to he has transition. to go move houses at night. Or yeah. Move people back to their houses. And I, I don't know if you guys noticed, but when you're flying as the bird, the camera's just rotating around you. Like it, like there's a in, in that scene you're anyway, more zeros. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, on controller that made it very difficult <laughs> at that point with the controller too, rotating around your your bird. Also the the tour of the distillery with that semi-fixed perspective made it very difficult to drive that little wagon uh, <laughs> i actually didn't really pick up on a lot of those circular references so it's super interesting to hear yeah i mean when you're just talking about circle references you know there's the the actual vehicle that you're driving around is not a vehicle it's just a, a, a tire that, that you know it's axle yeah, from twisting it's all over the place or even when you right. come into act five right and Maybe there's more to be said there, right? You come out of the depths, you come out of a hole that's a circle and you start looking at how you navigate that space as you're going either clockwise or counterclockwise to make things happen or unhappen. Yeah, I think this is a thing when I go back and play it in like some third chapter of some third Kentucky Route Zero chapter of my life, I'll probably see the circularity everywhere. There's a a great mechanical reference to the the circle slash infinity nature which you will be much better served by listening to the last eggplant podcast about but long story short one of the things that makes the perspective weird is that they use basically an infinite perspective so there's no yeah. a parallax which makes the whole scene shift in a really weird interesting way but it's another kind of mechanical representation of either zero and infinity depending on how you're looking at it I loved, so when I played Act 5 after um, having played these acts, I think it had been three, four, four years since I last played Kentucky Route Zero, and I was just shocked. I didn't remember any of, I didn't remember the end of Act 4 where you were, like, you're, I didn't remember that there was even any plan to make the delivery. I barely connected when I played Act 5 the first time because I was so shocked by the setting with the fact that this was Five Dogwood Drive, which was the whole point of the game. Like, I just played this as, like, a short-ass act that was totally different visuals and was just totally different. And I, I think I had to sit with it for a good three months. Like I remember when I finished it, I told Craig and I was like, I have no idea what I think of this. And upon second playthrough, I just think it's just such a, I think I've said multiple times, it's just such a masterful ending to this game. It's a perfect combination of hopelessness and optimism and the cyclical nature and the linear nature. It, it just, it's such a good ending. I think it's so cool. What did you guys think of it? So I was shocked by it, to be quite honest, right? As someone that's played through the four acts previously, did not play through Act 5, then went back, replayed all through all four acts and the interludes, and then came into Act 5 fresh. It was almost as if I wasn't playing the same game by that point, right? You come out of it and... You're now in the daylight. You're now like, there's so many things that have transitioned at such a substantial way. You're not even can 
you're not even controlling a human at this point, right? You're controlling a cat throughout the entire episode. Your, your perspective on what's happening in the world and what your place in it has shifted. And to your point, Nate, with regard to actually getting the five dogwood drive, throughout the way that the narrative weaves in through the first four acts, I kind of forgot that that's what I was going for. Like I had yeah. almost lost entirely the thread that that's what my end goal was. And having that come up offered some sort of resolution that I didn't know I was even looking for. Can I ask you guys yeah. a quick question? Is Conway ever referenced in Act 5? I don't know if he's referencing explicitly. So. Great question. It might just Maybe be right implicitly. at the beginning. I think... Yeah, because do of... they... Do they... They they come up through the well at the beginning of Act Five, correct? Yeah, yes, it's the very beginning. So I well, think right at the just... beginning, he's I think right at the beginning he's referenced when they're talking about like his truck and everything like that, but not in any like meaningful way. I think this kind of led to my salty sour feelings about this act in general i think i personally and i I don't know i thought it was just me but looking around the room it looks like we're a bunch of white guys here so maybe you guys turns out better on you for not falling for this trap but i kind of felt identified with conway and so after seeing what he went through that he like i get that the story feel to me the story felt like okay this is how people need to move on and go on but it also felt kind of like a a a jab in the back like because you decided to leave us we're gonna forget you we're not gonna worry about you anymore Mm -hmm. we're going to, to to move on deal with the shit that you left us but but you don't matter anymore because of the decision that you made. And so still kind of identifying with Conway, I, at the end of this, still kind of felt kind of sour. Like, I I, I get the point that you're trying to say, but it still feels like, in some ways, suicide is a call for help, right? And uh, a, a cry to want to be heard want to know that you matter in the world that you matter to other people and it really felt like the message here is no you don't i haven't really talked much about act five i i I did sort of fall into the trap i guess that you're that you're referencing well although i didn't associate with Conway at all. He seemed, I associated much more with Shannon. He seemed like, he didn't seem like the main character. And and because Shannon was introduced so early in the game, I viewed him as like a grandfatherly figure type thing, an older person, not necessarily family or anything like that, but his, he didn't have much of a personality or views or anything like that in the game. He was kind of just like this sad, regretful character. But I did kind of fall into that trap of where I was sort of hoping that there would be some kind of, well, they want to help him out. They want to show him that there's another way and things like that. So I did sort of fall into that, but it wasn't because like I associated with the character. It was more like I just felt bad for him, but I sort of liked that they didn't go down that and and try to save him. That said, 
I didn't like act five at all, other than sometime a few concepts of it that are burning up. I just thought it was, it was bloated and convoluted. I feel like they, they opened up all these characters and I would have liked it better if they just showed up to five dogwood drive and that empty house was there and it just sort of ended there. I didn't like the mechanic of going around as the cat and hearing all these things about what people might do. It, it felt like they just aimless. Is that kind of how you felt? It, yeah. Well, it felt aimless, but at the same time, it was like, it was too much. Like I didn't want to hear all these resolutions to the story. I, I would have rather they left it a little bit more open-ended, although it was somewhat open-ended. And then like so much of it seemed like so much anger towards the, the consolidated power and everything about the, the flood and everything like that, where. I mean, I understand the situation, how they were put in this, but at the same time, like, it seemed like the whole town was like leaving and I guess it's a reference to the circular nature of it or something like that, but it just, it just didn't connect well with me at all. That said, like the closing scene was very powerful and everything like that, but everyone in the house, no matter which way I look at it, the horse reference went way the fuck over my head, whatever that was reference to you mean the south american peoples that visited the town and failed at domesticating the horses an extremely obvious plot point <laughs> that's yeah. why horses throw up yeah 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 i guess so but what does that really mean in context of the story like it's a great question i don't know i feel like they they, sh they should have represented something I, i'm coming away maybe thinking like they represented wildness uh, Polly, uh, that look on your face, I, that way that you're feeling right now is what I'm talking about. Yeah, These references no, I, I don't mean, mean shit. <laughs> and I was so excited after how, how much I enjoyed Act 4 about just, like, closing this off. And even if it didn't, like, spell anything out, I feel like they tried to spell out a bunch of things, but it was, like, stuff that didn't need to be. I don't know. This the Act 5 was my least favorite act by far of everything. I don't know. And... It didn't leave a sour taste in my mouth because it did close beautifully. It was just kind of boring and aimless. Yeah, aimless is a good word for I it. Didn't, to me, it didn't ever feel aimless. To me, it felt like, what does it look like to try and move on? And what does it look like to try and move away from this space that they had come to inhabit? Then the other piece there but, was... But the, before you move on, like, who's moving on? these people that you didn't know that were in the town before and some of them are staying like it, yeah, it was you just don't know half the people of, that join you on the boat like right. half the people that join you in this game are even like the, the last characters you're introduced to emily ben and bob it seemed sort of like they were staying yeah i think to, it to me it was this moment of there are still choices that you can make right to what nate referenced earlier as far as thinking that even in moments of despair that you don't have a choice here, it felt like they didn't owe anyone for the moment that they got to experience. I, I hear you on that, but what it was overshadowed by overshadowed by me was for like the anger towards the power company, like kind of overshadowing everything. And it's like. I already got that point. You didn't have to hammer that in anymore. And it got to the point where I was like, 
especially because I don't understand introducing the out-of-towner concept. It doesn't seem like the power company is what caused an out-of-towner to be killed. The only person who was trying to dig this ditch and save the town. Right. It and seemed like the, like, the it seemed like community did that. And the dictatorship of Fraser and the library, too. It's oh, also gosh, that's right. I forgot thing. about the library. Yeah. I think when I said I wasn't sure what to think about Act 5, when I played it, I was disappointed. But I also didn't know their whole, like, play structure where the middle act is the biggest and everything else is like a rising and falling peak. With that context, Act 5 makes more sense to me. But I think, to me, having played it in such great distance, like, this game was unknowable and mysterious. And the end of Act 5 was, like, abrupt and, like, just different. And so I almost felt like it had too straightforward of a... Or I felt like I didn't understand the ending at all. And now when I replay it, I see more of an ending, but enough of an open-ended one that it still feels true to this game. I didn't mean to cut off your other point there either, Craig. I just wanted oh, yeah. to comment on your first one. No, no, that was... What was the other? I wish I remembered. No, oh, no. So sorry. Rip. <laughs> um... Do you think any of y'all would play this again in the future? I kind of tried. It does. I feel like it does invite multiple playthroughs and maybe after a period of time I can, but when I tried jumping back into an act and kind of realizing like there's so much I have to go through yeah. to find the little bits that I miss that don't really change anything. Mm. It's sort of like, I don't think this is like an immediate dig back into a game unless you're whoever these eggplant guys are, you keep talking about, they wanted to completely deconstruct everything. I would replay in like four to five years and I bet you'll have forgotten half of it. And at that point you'll be like, wow, I don't remember this or this or this. That's what Craig and I were like a bunch. A bunch. Yeah. It was fascinating to replay it and be like, I literally I know one played this act and I don't remember this scene at all. There's a chance that I didn't see it before. Will looks like it ain't happening. I was debating whether or not this should be part of my ending, but the experience of playing this game was so miserable that I can't ever imagine playing it again. And I, I mean, no offense to anybody here or the game in general. I think... There are a lot of great things that happened here. A lot of really cool stuff, a lot of really interesting stuff, a lot of things that made me think I f am happy to have played this game, but the actual playing of this game, I think, was a miserable experience. You're talking about the wonkiness of controls or having to restart from buggy sections a couple times? Yeah, it was buggy it didn't feel like there was any like cohesive narratives like it, it felt like it needed an editor it felt like it needed like the references to no points led like the, there there's so much in this game but the, it doesn't ever get to anything the when he when conway loses his leg or is about to lose his leg he walks so slowly that the, the, like, I talked to Nate a little bit about this as we were playing it, like, and part of that's the point, right? This is a slow, plodding experience. He's broken. He can't make fast changes. Life 
is slowing down and and yes that is the thing that it got across to me but no that's not something i i, I don't want to s- sit and wait for 30 seconds for the character to walk across the screen it, it's just it it's not it sounds like you're not ready for postmodern maximalist novels either well where entire chapters are unclear why they're there or like, does this add anything? Maybe yeah. with a microscope, What's three the degrees. Point? Yeah. Would it, would it be solved if they pulled every bit, everyone's gone to the rapture and added the run button or? <laughs> 10% faster. That's what you get. Yeah. Would it be better as um, a racing game? <laughs> just thinking about it, because we're, we're referencing the ending and everything. What this game, the end of this reminded me of, and I think about other games, is Virginia, where it's, there was such Oof, we lost Craig. possibilities for the end. And then they gave you way too much that didn't tell you anything. Then they, then they closed it out. Well, the very, very end was very nicely done. But as far as wrapping up the story, it's just like, let's just put everything here and it's just there. And there you go. There's all your ends. All right. I've had a wonderful time discussing the game with you folks. I think this is a great point to close out with our final thoughts. Does anybody want to go first? Would you like to review the game? Maybe give it a score. Who's going first? I think I'll trail the pack here. I'll go ahead and jump in because we were already starting to get into my feelings on the game right there at the end. I, this game is like working out where at the end of the, at the end of it, I'm glad that I've done it, and I hate that I had to do it. I really appreciated their, the beautiful scenes in and of themselves made the game worth it for playing for, for me, and there was so much more on top of that. Just the visual art aspect floored me. The incredibly innovative design perspectives, this really felt like playing a game from people who did not know or come from games they it it and you know it this felt like somebody using games to express their story express their love show their love for the craft i again i'm really appreciative to ha- having played the game but I did not like playing it. I found it to be tedious, aimless. I the the amount of things that one could miss or include being part of the story like really bothers me that I have a certain impression of what happened in the game, but somebody else could have such a like the alcoholism thing is such a drastic different read of the story that just comes from a choice that was not presented to me like it there there is no way that my story that I could have experienced the same story as some of you guys and and that stuff really bugs me I had another great point and hopefully you'll cut out this dead space this stays in 
Craig's whispering something. Yeah. It... Shit. I can give you a minute. We got time. I will yep. cut this out. I had it a second ago. At the end of the day, I I really appreciate what this game does and like didn't like playing it. So it is yeah, well I I bye. I might send you a better end to that cut, Nate, later. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. I have some similar feelings to Will, but many different feelings as well. As I said before, I don't think this is a very good video game. I think it's an exceptional piece of art. I really enjoyed experiencing it, but more than that, I like thinking about it after the fact. I like talking with you guys about it and probably anybody else that'll listen. As far as I didn't feel so, so miserable as, as Will had pointed out playing through it. I, I think there was plenty of points in the game where the characters had like this unique positivity and sense of humor and upbeat nature, even in these dark times that was expertly crafted at, at carrying you along and not making you feel too downtrodden. But obviously we had different introspections and views on the, the concepts that were presented to us, but without all the extras around this. And one of the biggest things I strongly, strongly encourage folks to seek out the uh, videos that are on WEVP TV. I think they had so much and some of them aren't even in the game at all. It's just sort of the feel of the game. There's this excellent like documentary called old school revolutionaries. That's all about the early Chicago, I guess I'd call it video synthesis. They talk about the tapes in the, in the TV station a lot and talking about manipulating video and communicating through video. And they have all these concepts before the internet about what if telephone was replaced with broadcast TV and things like that. It's such interesting stuff and it gives you a unique perspective into the creator's mindsets of the game. Those are the things that I really appreciated. It invited me to this world of things I wouldn't normally think about. But as far as like the gameplay goes, it does something that's very difficult for me in video games. I'm going to read multiple characters that I haven't learned yet dialogue. I've experienced that it multiple times in games that I like, like Firewatch and like, especially everyone's gone to the rapture where you're reading these notes from people you don't know from time periods, you don't quite understand yet. And after the fact, you may be able to come back to it, but it makes it so difficult for me to enjoy that dialogue at the time. Although sometimes they do these perspective changes that somehow, even though it's more difficult to understand and less based in reality. It makes me appreciate it more. So I have very mixed feelings on it. I, I love talking about it. I love that I played it, but I don't like playing it. And that's, that spells out this wonderful experience to me. It, I'll review it. I'll give it a three. It's not a great game, but it's changed. It's probably changed my life and given me new perspectives that I appreciate a lot of articles that I've been reading and I've read some excellent articles and, and we'll uh, reference those in the show notes later on, but I 
I really appreciate other people's viewpoints of this. Although like so many people calling it the, the game of the decade and things like that, it's like this story could have been experienced through so many different ways. It didn't need to be a game. And I almost feel like that could detract from it. If it weren't for the exceptional art, the exceptional uh, way that music was paired with that and the, the strange choices they made with music, everything from like repurposed hymns to a weird, what instruments is that again? The one where you don't touch it? Theremin. Yes. The theremin solo. It, it wrapped up to an excellent experience, but I don't think that I needed to control it at any point. I rather would just experience it. So yeah, that's my, I think Nate is so mad at me right now. Is that a three out of 10 a or a three out of five? Three out of five. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, oh man. Yeah, that dramatically five. Well, I go on the, the giant uh, bomb scale. Okay. Woo. Okay. That's yeah. You were like, <laughs> it was life changing 30%. And I was like, wow. Interesting. It's the inverse Alberto here. Craig, what do you think? Tell me about Kentucky Route Zero. So I entered into this with wondering, what is this, right? Is this an interactive medium? Is this a game? Is this art? What, what do we even qual qualify this as? And I think as we've heard from everyone else, right, we continue to refer to it as art. But I think what we have to reference here is what does that mean to each one of us and how does that play with itself and with, you know, the different components that are there. And Polly did a great job of referencing the music and the visuals and the dialogue and all these other pieces that come together uniquely within video games to my mind, right? There's that interactivity for how we explore the world and the interactions that we get to take, even as we watch plays happen in real time and choose which way we look depends on what type of experience we're getting. There's something to this that I think you guys hit on with the actual gameplay mechanics and that this game deconstructs what it means to be an adventure game. It doesn't hold true to those pieces and I think it's stronger for it. I think from a video game narrative piece by choosing to ignore what has been placed in front of us is here's how you tell a video game story and instead change it to here's how we're going to tell our story. Here's how we're going to tell our experiences with America and with our own lived debt or our own lived medical trauma or what we've seen from our families or how music has impacted us and shape that into a separate thing that can still be packaged as a video game, I think is something that's uniquely special here. And when thinking about it holistically, given the time that it takes to put this together, right? We're talking about almost a decade of interactions that have looped into each other and fed back into each other that I think kind of mirrors what the actual game is telling us as well, right? They're, their experiences are looping back in on themselves to help further the narrative that they're trying to tell. And I think when we look at that, when I look at that and look at how art should be viewed, should be viewed of its time, should it exist within that time, should it exist 
on the outside looking in on that time. I think those are the things that I grapple with when interacting with this. And I won't sit here and say, yes, every moment of gameplay that I experienced was something, you know, awe-inspiring. There's definitely moments where it's like, why am I here? But I think the same way that as you meander through your life, as you go through different moments, there's different times that it's okay for there not to be a purpose. And similar here, it's okay. There's moments that don't actually matter. And it's okay that there are ones that do. And I think walking away from the experience here, I found a purpose that mattered in it. Excellent, Craig. Nate, your thoughts after almost a decade. So I come to this game in 2021 sort of primed to receive it on the level it's kind of firing. I've read a lot of hyper-maximalist postmodern novels, of which more than 50% is pointless. I've read Magical Realism. I've read, and, and I'm deeply in love with magical realism. I'm the opposite of Will in that everything that happens in a story, I'm never asking, is this relevant to what's happening? I love like extreme density and things that I don't understand that I can go back to afterwards and find meaning in. So I think while I acknowledge what all you guys are saying about, like there definitely are parts of this game that drag more than others. There are definitely parts that are questionable. And I think it struggles a little being packaged into a video game format. For me, this is everything that I want video games to do. This is an expression of three unique people's personal passions in a level that's deeper than any other media could be. There are things here that I could dive into infinitely, but that I don't have to dive into infinitely to understand, which is something that I really appreciate and is a fine line. There's a version of this game that is flexing with every reference it's making. This is not that game. This is clearly a demonstration of passion and interest. I just feel like you can feel that in every scene, and even the scenes that I don't get or I don't like at one playthrough, I'm sort of very aware that they are just as meaningful to the creators as the ones that I am getting. I think the way that it's using art is just stellar. Like the art style of this game is so beautiful and incredible, and it uses its own kind of language that it invents from a synthesis of other media, which I think is really cool and exciting. Uh, I guess it. this is my favorite game that I've ever played, but I feel like I should caveat that by saying that there is no other game like it, and I could see games that do a lot of what this game is doing smoother, but I just don't have anything to compare it to, really. And I, I mean, maybe that is a topic, like what else can we compare to this? But we're past that point now. This is the end of the show. And I, for me, there is nothing else like it. And I think that that's why, to me, it stands as such a titan of influence. And it will influence many people for, I'm sure, a very long time to come. And I think that's why it's won, like, it won multiple game awards, right? Like over multiple years, which is relatively unique. I don't know how to wrap up this section, but this game is super important to me. I obviously had a huge traumatic leg injury in the middle of playing this which at some times felt extremely personal and intimate and something that linked me to this piece of media. I have a little laser-cut figure of Conway with the reverse leg missing on my desk. But as I played it more, 
it seems less like his specific injury is the point of this game and that there's almost less to relate to each time I play it. And there's more to think about in terms of his debt. And that that leg repossession is saying more about the theme of the game than it is about a specific injury. But yeah, there were times where this was very personal and that was really a special thing to experience. Yeah, I don't know how to wrap this up, but I really love this game and I'm thankful y'all played it. I'd I've been kind of hammering everyone to play this for a long time, and it feels like this podcast is the perfect reason for everyone to play it. I am glad you had us do that, and I think that was beautiful and well put, Nate. I do want to, because I'm the host, I get to do this. I do want (laughs) to come up with one more thought about the whole replayability. I do feel like because of the nature of this game, less focus on character, it almost speaks to me that there's a bit more of a performatory aspect to playing this game where it's almost like now that I know it, it could be more enjoyable to do again now that I know how to approach it and act out those characters and things like that, more references to its play-like nature and things like that. I just wanted to bring that up before we close it out. I was looking for a place to say that. My appreciation for this game got deeper and shallower as a game. Like it became, like I kept saying, it became less unknowable, but it became much more interesting as a piece. So I definitely recommend that anyone that played it that was kind of just vaguely interested in it, come back in a few years. I think you'll be pretty interested in all of this stuff. Can I do believe that, that you kind of informed me of that through your beautiful, beautiful words. But don't take our word for it. There is a wealth of other excellent resources. We'll include them in our show notes. Tons of great articles about this. Tons of videos. I've I've watched a couple of uh, small sections of the games what, just watching uh, people play through it on YouTube and Twitch. It, it's very interesting seeing different perspectives on this. So I highly encourage you check out our show notes and listen to people that are more intellectual than us describe the things that we didn't understand. But thank you so much for hanging on through the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I know I did. I hope everybody else did. It's been our pleasure having you and I hope uh, to see you again in the next episode. Thank you all.